This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everybody? I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Welcome to a Monday edition to kick off another week of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. The countdown to Labor Day weekend is on, and the Bombers are 3-1 and one after a thrilling win last night at IG Field. Great to have you with us. I'm Andrew Patterson, along with the CTO, Michael Remus, who we'll bring in in just a moment. First things first, big thanks to all of our sponsors here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, including Canadian Club Whiskey, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Not Auto Corp, Boston Pizza, Assiniboia Downs, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Breezy Bend Country Club, and our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada. Ha! Huh. I'm so fired up for this program. There is so much to get to. Uh, first and foremost, big win by the Blue and Gold, and so much to talk about coming out of last night's game. The return of Andrew Harris, Mark Leggio, Jake Mayer on the Calgary side of things. We're going to get into all of that with our boy Darren Bombing coming up in about 15 minutes. And after that, the story of the weekend, uh, certainly north of the border, I think, for hockey fans. Epic trolling by the Carolina Hurricanes and the crazy offer sheet they signed Jesperi Kakaniemi, the Montreal Canadiens, to. We'll see how that's going over in Montreal and how Habs fans felt about the Canes' Twitter work after the signing. Joey Alfieri coming up a little later on. And if you were like me and had to leave to go to the Bomber game, you may have missed live the incredible ending of the epic playoff at the BMW Championship between Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Cantlay. Patty Ice got it done. And um, (laughs) DeChambeau, uh, it was something. These guys apparently hate each other now. Um, Lots to get to going into the Tour Championship. And of course, the Ryder Cup coming up in just a few weeks' time. So uh, really looking forward to having a former caddy on tour, an Aussie, Dubs Anderson. Mr. Dubsy is a good friend of Gabe Morenci. He's often a contributor on Sports uh, Sports Grid along with Gabe and Cam. So we're going to talk to Dubs a little later on, get his take on what happened yesterday at the BMW Championship and uh, see what he likes for the Tour Championship, as well as how all of this drama going on around the U.S. team might affect the upcoming Ryder Cup. It should be a great, great show. Great to have you all with us. And let's get Michael Remus in here to get things going. Remo, how was your weekend? Great weekend, Huss. Uh, you know, it got a bit nice there Saturday afternoon. Uh, yesterday it turned out to be a beautiful day. Beautiful evening for some bomber football, and what an ending. I'm seeing a lot of comments in chat. Oh, I don't think I have any nails after that game. <laughs> uh, it took a couple years off my life. Um, someone said, uh, hey, guys, you be serious. Like You didn't watch. You couldn't watch that 52-yard attempt at the end. I said, I don't do that. I'm not sitting there like this, you know, covering my eyes. Like, ah, I can't watch. But it was. I was sitting with my wife watching on the couch, and she's like, man, this is... She's like, even she's like to me, yeah, this is really uh, intense right now. You didn't want uh, Calgary to come back, and it kept dunking and dinging. You and I were texting, pulling out all the stops, including, uh, I mean, putting their freshly new uh, minted quarterback, Jake Mayer, in danger with that trick play. Took a took a decent hit to try to get closer in field goal range, but uh, Paredes, 52-yard attempt, couldn't quite get through the uprights. It was an incredible... Incredible thing. And we also, again, we, we can get to the offer sheet later. That offer sheet, I mean, I was smiling all Saturday <laughs> night from that offer sheet. I was in a great mood. I thought it was so funny. 
So, and I was also very thankful because last week for hockey news, I mean, the biggest story was uh, Val Philpula signing in the Swiss League. And to have an offer sheet, not only an offer sheet, a revenge offer sheet with a $20 signing bonus <laughs> and all the tweets accompanying. Oh, that was juicy. So, it, yeah, it was great. It certainly was. Uh, what up, Shark Mifley? The game last night was a nail biter. Leighton Janice says, uh, they say a hot dog takes 35 minutes off your life. That bomber game took 35 years off my life. <laughs> pretty, pretty accurate, Leighton. Uh, hey, Jackie, Jackie's Idol. Hi, everyone. Tuning in from Toronto, Ontario. Born and raised in Winnipeg, now living in Toronto. Well, we got you covered, Jackie. We're here every day. I guess that would be 2 o'clock Eastern breaking down all the uh, biggest stories in and around the Winnipeg sports scene, Canada, and of course, around the world. Uh, and yeah, we will get into, we will get into the cock and the Emmy offer sheet. Um, that will be, uh, that is something else. I, I just have to say though, about last night, um, I know a lot of people, you know, sort of woke up. It's been cool around here. We've had such a gorgeous summer. The last week's been sort of crummy. And I was really wondering how the crowd would be. And I knew it would be a little smaller than the first couple of games that was expected. Um, but man, for a day that started out feeling like September, it was an absolutely glorious, glorious night at the game last night. I got to shout out uh, the uh, the Knot Gang and Trevor Knot for uh, the wonderful hospitality last night at the game. Uh, saw stretch from Assiniboia Downs. We'll get to the ASD picks a little bit later on in the program as well for tonight's action out at Live Racing. Um, but the game last night had everything, Remus. I mean, it had an incredible record-breaking streak of completions by Jake Mayer the return of Andrew Harris. But as you mentioned, the story really leaving the game was the leg of legs himself, Mark Leggio, who I did a tweet. I I don't know how I, I have never butchered the spelling of a name worse than I did of Mark Leggio last night. But uh, as he says on his Twitter profile, he just goes by legs, L-E-G-G-Z. And um, he had the leg last night, Reem, and it started off somewhat conspicuously for Legio, missing the extra point on the Andrew Harris touchdown that would have put the team up 7-3 to three at the time. Um, but after that, had four kicks and made them. Uh, it is important to note, not that it will count in the long run, but um, Legio did originally miss a 35-yarder <laughs> to go ahead, but the Bombers... Didn't snap the ball in time. Took a time count penalty. They moved it back, and then he blasted. Was it a 45-yarder right through the uprights? Um, and then the Bomber defense stepped up, and it was wild. I mean, where I was sitting in the corner, um, Adam Bakehill was back at safety on that on that final drive. It was a very interesting mix, um, you know, of personnel as they, you know, tried to avoid any big plays. And it came right down to the end. Renee Paradis with a 52-yard attempt to win. And the wind was a factor as well in the game last night. He came up just short, and uh, the home team gets another win. Uh, the Bombers' incredible play at IG Field continues. Uh, but I have to admit, coming out of the game, incredibly impressed with Jake Mayer. Uh, impressed with the resilience of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But, and maybe we'll play this clip, um, Mike O'Shea, after the game, Reem. Um, listen, he's not going to sit there and, you know, bitch about his team after a win. But I have a feeling that the uh, the tape sessions with the team, especially the receiving core, aren't going to be very fun. Because um, I think you can say that this game would not have been anywhere close to as tight as it was if the Bomber receivers in particular did a better job of holding on to the football. 
Uh, there were just a, a number of drops, and it was pretty much everyone. Kenny Lawler, Rashid Bailey, Drew Dwolitarski. Uh, wasn't a banner night for the receiving core when it came to just, you know, catching the footballs that Zach Caleros was putting in there. Uh, but in the end, a win's a win. The Bombers get to 3-1, and one, and now we get ready for the Labor Day Classic. Uh, you, let, let's get that clip from Mike O'Shea afterwards, because I think it sort of summarizes the way he was feeling after last night's win over Calgary. Yeah, I know I'm pretty excited about uh, about the win tonight, and I think I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to uh, the film is gets watched tomorrow morning, and tonight I, I'm going to probably have a beer. That's that's what you do after a win. Watch the film tomorrow. Save it for tomorrow. Enjoy the W. Uh, because if it was the other way around, the team played incredible, but somehow you lost by two, you know you'd be feeling with that loss and then moving into the positives going forward. So um, all in all, though, uh, Remus Legio was really the story. And and why don't, let's get clip number two ready because this was quite interesting. I, I mentioned he missed the extra point early on in the football game. And then Mike O'Shea threw Legio out to kick a 50-yarder um, not too long after that. And it seemed like it was a real vote of confidence for the young man. Obviously, with Tyler Carpinho on the six-game injured list, they didn't have any other options. Um, but he came up big, and I think this really gave the coaching staff the, the confidence in him to put him in the situations they did later on the game. Here's Coach O'Shea. Well, I saw him make from 55 in warm-up going that way. I mean, it was the same kick, right? So, um, yeah, that was, that was what his distance was. Was it important too, to send that vote of confidence? That's a question for him, you know, not, not for you. He didn't feel that, that you needed to give him a pat on the back in the form of a 50 yard drive. Well, I thought he kicked well during the week of practice. So I thought he was, he was feeling confident if, if he wasn't feeling confident, I might not trot him out, but to me, he had the confidence. So it's not a matter of giving him that, right? He, he, he owned that in warm up and during the week of practice, he was prepared during the week to do that. All right. So there's uh, there's the coach and, and you know what? I, I respect that for Mike O'Shea. I mean, he's not, re- I mean, this is pro football. I mean, a guy, if he's in your roster, he's got a job to do and they put him in the op, gave him the opportunity to do it. And he went out and did it. And, you know, when you think about the missed extra point, the missed field goal that would have been a death knell for the for the football team at the end of the fourth quarter, the stat line for Legio is going to read four for four, Remus. And, you know, for a young man making the first start of his career as a kicker, he had been doing, he was, you know, capable and doing some punting before. Um, this was, uh, you know, huge for the Bombers. I mean, let's face it, the last couple of weeks, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about special teams and, you know, the massive loss that Justin Medlock has been. And no one's going to come in and replace Justin Medlock and get to the level of excellence and consistency that Medlock provided the Bombers all those years right away. Uh, but I'll tell you what, considering much of the concern that I think the organization had as well. I mean, they brought Caprina in, didn't they? Um, by a hell of a start for Legio. And, uh, I'm sure he uh, went to sleep with a big smile on his face. And, you know, when he gets back to practice, we'll feel much more a part of the team and I think much more confidence going forward. Um, there could be some real reciprocal effects of what happened for the Bombers kicker last night in a good way for the blue and gold. Yeah, what a performance. I and mean, we had so many questions about the kicking leading into the game. I mean, how do you replace Medlock, who's one of the best of all time? And he's been you know, special teams player of the year, one of the best players the last couple of years. I mean, their whole offense would be like, okay, you get... 
anywhere close to field goal range, and it was guaranteed points. And you saw the first couple of games, they were tentative when it came to going for field goals. It just wasn't the same that they would. But, you know, a guy misses the extra point, and then you're throwing him out there, all right, let's kick a 50-yarder, and he nails it. And he nails his, um, you know, three other kicks, going four for four. I mean, I think that's a, a big boost uh, for the offense going forward, a boost for him personally. I mean, you listen to his post-game comments, and we'll play those coming up. I mean, he's ecstatic. He's fired up. He's He can't believe that he's, um, you know, kicking field goals in the CFL. So uh, I thought it was awesome for him. And, I mean, the play of the game was the, you know, the time count violation at the end and missing the field goal. It was almost like a reverse, a reverse icing, the kicker. They almost <laughs> iced themselves. And I think, and he said, like, he wasn't set up quickly enough. And you could kind of see as it was going on TV that the, it was winding down. It was going to be tight. I mean, they blew the whistle. He kicked it anyways. Didn't go in, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh, oh shit!" Like, that's not good. This is a 35 yarder. You got to make those. And he nails down the pipe, no doubt, on the longer one. That's awesome. So, seems like the Bombers' uh, kicking situation. If anything, you're feeling a lot more confident now than you have at all this year since uh, missing, uh, since losing Justin Medlock. So, uh, that's great. I see our, our Todd Fertani's in the chat. What up, Todd? Got home from Lactobani in time to catch the last few minutes of the Bomber game and then a replay of the golf. Wow. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, I wouldn't want it to miss that game last night live at IG Field, but I can tell you if you were on the uh, on the couch going back and forth between the two uh, TSN channels of the Bombers at the end of the golf, it was absolutely phenomenal. And we will talk about it with Dubs Anderson a little bit later on today. All right, Darren Bombing is going to come up in just a few minutes and we will dive fully into the Bombers' performance as well as what Calgary did well last night uh, with DB. But Remo, let's get to the the story of, from hockey over the weekend, this offer sheet. Um was it Saturday afternoon? We get the word. I think Elliot Friedman fires something up. Frank starts tweeting, and it sounds like an offer sheet's been signed by Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And, of course, who did it? The Carolina Hurricanes. And at the start, I didn't see numbers. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then it sort of occurred to me, wow, isn't that funny? It was Montreal that tried to sign Aho via offer sheet a couple years ago. Uh, and then you started seeing the social media work by the Carolina Hurricanes, which began with the uh, a simple L-O-L-R-T of the announcement that Kotkaniemi had signed the offer sheet. And then the statement, and I'll have to get this up, but Don Waddell, um, you know, a statement about the offer sheet, sort of interestingly, you know, interestingly quoted, um, you know, it was just sort of a weird statement. Uh, and then we realized, oh, here it is. Yes, Barry Kotkanemi accepted our offer. He wants to come to Carolina. He, he sees the core we built here and wants to be a part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. When you make an offer like that, we saw a vulnerable position. Well, go, let's rewind to uh, two years ago, 2019. Habs, Sebastian Aho accepted our offer. He wants to come to Montreal. He sees our youngsters coming up at the organization and wants to be part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. Mark Bergevin, they literally copied the exact same tweet. And if that wasn't enough remiss, then the Carolina Hurricanes, of all things, put out a tweet announcing the offer sheet in French. <laughs> I mean, 
the level of pettiness yeah. involved in this entire package of the offer sheet is incredible. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait to hear from Joey Alfieri when he joins us a little later on as to how this has played out in Montreal. Uh, because with the $6.1 million a tab, along with that $20 signing bonus, Sebastian Ajo's number, well done, Canes. Um, you know, if they re if they sign it, it still puts it would put the Habs two million dollars over after taking away what they have coming off due to LTIR. So it completely jams them. Not to mention, Kakinami would have to be qualified at the end of next year at six point one million. Now there are many people that feel the Canes and Kakinami have a long term deal arranged already. Um, and at which point, you know, if he does stay with them. Uh, whenever he can resign, which I believe on one-year deals is after uh, January 1st, um, you know, sign a long-term deal at a lower AAV than what is on right now. But uh, it's a bit of a mess for Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And there's not a single person walking planet Earth right now that doesn't think that this was 100% in retaliation for what happened in 2019 with Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, a couple other uh, Twitter details. This is just like elite level trolling by Carolina <laughs> tweeting out the Uno card where, you know, it's going to you and then you reverse it back on the other person <laughs> tweeting like just tweeting this. I mean, I I know the social media team isn't, you know, part of the front office, but uh, I mean, then tweeting people don't forget. And then the signing bonus, $20, Ajo's number, always relevant bunch of jerks. I'm just going through the timeline, but also changing their Twitter uh, profile, like bio to French. <laughs> I mean, no detail spared. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. I think it's hilarious. I'm here for it. We want to see offer sheets and Carolina just took this one to another level. I don't want to say completely making it out of spite. But it's pretty clear that spite is part of it. I had, and, I had to yeah. laugh just quickly on one of those tweets that you just pulled up when they uh, they quote, quote tweeted Jack Todd's piece. Oh, uh, my God. I got a great laugh out of that because if I'm not mistaken, Jack Todd was one of the guys that said Mark Shifley should have been in jail for yes. what had yeah. happened. I mean, the overreaction after that was noted, and we remember that here in Winnipeg. So the fact that uh, Kokinemi's offer to Kukin, or Carolina's offer to Kokinemi was a bush league move, the Canes behaved like a bunch yeah. of grade five boys trying to see who can stand farthest from the urinal and not giving a damn who gets splashed in the way. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's I guess we made a splash is the is the tweet and yeah, there's so much, so many aspects of I mean the revenge offer sheet. The $20 sign, like sign, putting me, hey, uh, Yesperi, we're going to give you a $20 signing bonus. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll screw over my my current team or help stick it well, to them. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, what happens? Like, let's just say Montreal says, whatever, we're going to figure out a way to do this. They wave somebody and they decide to keep Kotkaniemi. I mean, how is he viewed in the organization? How is he viewed by the fan base? Uh, I, I'm not sure how they can match this offer. And, you know, coming back the other way is going to be a first-round pick and a third-round pick. I mean, the Canes are a damn good team. I mean, I think there's a very good chance that that first-round pick is sort of towards the end of that first round. And a third-round pick's a third-round pick, especially if it's a late third-round pick. I mean, limited value on that. So, 
Um, I, I would imagine, I, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to do this, and the return isn't going to be great. And then if the Canes can go and get him at a lower AAV on a long-term deal, playing with a bunch of other Finns like Aho, I mean, it could end up being a pretty shrewd move by Carolina. But the bottom line is, Reem, there is absolutely no way you can justify Kakaniemi on a one-year deal at $6.1 million unless it was the means to an end of uh, righting a perceived wrong against the Canes organization. And uh, let's face it, that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't fault Kakaniemi for being part of this plan to stick it to the Canadians. I mean, if someone came to you and said, hey, we'll give, you know, I saw a projection for a salary evolving hockey. They said 1.9 million. So, I mean, this is three times that. So if someone came to you and said, hey, we'll give you uh, three times your current salary, you know, to maybe stick it to your old team. I think you're gonna not going to turn down that money when you're given a hard time in negotiations. I think he's been maybe upset with the organization on, you know, missing, uh, being saddled for some playoff games, the way he's been handled. And if someone says, here, it's three times your salary. What do you do? Turn that down? So we'll see what happens long term. It is interesting that, you know, he's clearly not worth 6.1 right now. And you have to qualify him at 6.1. But he was a third overall pick. I mean, there's potential there. And we'll see if Carolina, you know, what happens if, Mo- if Montreal decides to match. And if they do match, again, they're over the salary cap. So it was, it was a very well done move by, uh, by Carolina here. So we'll, But hopefully for them, I mean, the player pans out. But for a first and a third, it's. I mean, I. I. That's the way offer sheets should be done. So good for them. Yeah. Um. Anyways, we'll go to Montreal. We'll get the uh, latest on the situation with Joey Alfieri from TSN six ninety coming up in a little bit. We are going to get back to the football though. Darren Bombing is lined up, going to join us in just a second. Uh, before we do that, speaking of the bomber game. Uh, it was great to see everybody last night that popped by and said hi. Uh, you know, just this is the best part of the games right now. Um, getting together, cheersing friends, high fiving after big plays, after game winning missed field goals or game winning field goals, as it were. Um, and of course, hooking up with some folks in the Jim Beam social area by the Still House, the Brugal Rum Hut, and cheersing with a few Canadian clubs. Saw a. Uh, uh, it may have been a Sunday night, but there was a few getting poured last night. I mean, what a great weekend. The weekend's always better with Canadian Club. If you're uh, if you're over beer, try the great taste of Canadian Club with ginger ale or Coke. And, of course, you can get it all around IG Field at every Winnipeg Blue Bomber game as uh, CC is uh, the official sponsor and uh, spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We're going to have another contest on Friday heading into the Labor Day Classic and next week for Banjo Bowl, an unbelievable prize from Canadian Club. You're going to want to be with us for podcast folks. We'll make sure we'll let you know and uh, we'll utilize social media for this one because we want to get as many folks in eligible to win. So thanks again to CC. Uh, Make it CC tonight. Uh, Royal Sports. I can't thank the guys enough for their help with these lids. The uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. Shout out to our friend Car Chen. I know Carter went by and picked one up. I believe the latest inventory list is there's like three left of each kind over at Royal. And we might have a couple left uh, for people out of town on the website as well. Uh, for those of you, you can get to winnipegsportstalk.com and click the store. Uh, but yeah, pop down to Royal. Pick up one of the lids before they are gone. And while you're there, you can get ready for Big weekend for the Bombers with all the great Bomber merch there. Jet season coming up, NFL season, not to mention uh, camping, bikes, incredible streetwear over in the skate, snow and surf side. It's all there, 750 Pemina Highway, Royal Sports. 
Great sponsors of ours since day number one. And uh, speaking of uh, great sponsors of ours, got a chance to cheers our pal DQ Nick last night at the game. Nick was there with the jersey on, all fired up at the end. And uh, again, it's always a great time for Dairy Queen. Support our sponsors, Nick and Nikki. Four locations here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba, including the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And you can hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba if you'd like to get a cake ordered and uh, simply easy and quickly pick it up at one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. All right, let's get back to the Bombers and let's welcome back the Bomber himself, Darren Bombing to Winnipeg Sports Talk. You can follow him, of course, at Bonfire Sports on YouTube, doing great pregame coverage and analysis throughout the week and uh, hooking up with our guy Chris Walby on game day Winnipeg before all Blue Bomber games. Uh, Bombing, first things first, how are you doing? I heard you uh, bonked yourself earlier last week. Yeah, I uh, took a good tumble on my bike, was wearing my helmet as I still, um, you know, uh, bopped my uh, noggin pretty good. Uh, I had a lot of concussions earlier in life, you know, playing football, playing hockey and the like. And, uh, well, it just uh, goes to show you can't be too careful out there. Uh, got great uh, medical treatment. Uh, if you uh, suffer concussion, anybody out there, go see a doctor. It's the best thing you can do. Uh, Hustler, your good friend Rob Dreger took care of my neck. I was actually diagnosed with a concussion and whiplash. Um but great people down at uh, Elite Physiotherapy who took care of me, and uh, thanks to all of them, and I'm all good. Uh, concussion treatment has changed, and this applies to sports as well here, Huss, in that, you know, three, four years ago, they used to say, shut it down, you know, cut everything uh, off as far as, you know, physical activity and, and light and screens and, um, you know, excitement and all those sorts of things. That has completely shifted and changed uh, a doctor here at Elite, uh, Dr. Neil Creighton, uh, co-authored a paper a couple years ago. It's completely different now. They want lots of aerobic activity and a return to normal as quickly as possible. You want to avoid, uh, you know, uh, obviously another concussion for about a week or two. Uh, so ease back into things. But they said, get back to work, get back to normal, push through the discomfort and pain. And uh, it was far from that, uh, being able to do a pregame show with Chris Walby. So I uh, uh, had a lot of fun uh, on the YouTube channel uh, before the game and, uh, you know, uh, you know, putting things out there uh, for the fans. We were looking forward to uh, a rivalry game against the Stampeders. No doubt the Canadian Cowboys had a bitter taste in their mouth with the Bombers getting the best of them uh, in their two previous meetings, regular season finale, and then the Western semifinal in 2019. Winnipeg builds on it with another win at home, a huge one to improve to three and one. And I know this will lead into something you and I will talk about today, Huss. Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl, the two best teams in the Three and zero riders, three and one bombers. I can't wait for Sunday. I'm making the trip out to Regina. It's a special year, and I'm not going to miss it for the world. No, it, it, I mean it doesn't get much better than the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl, and uh, even better when both teams are looking as good as they are. Hey, Bardo, uh, I see you in the chat there asking me if I saw 60 Minutes Sunday night. I didn't. I was at the game, uh, but I did hear about the piece on Alex Smith, um, the the E60 on Alex Smith's return is simply incredible. It is yep. must-see and one of the most inspiring stories in in uh, in, in football. Uh, if you do have uh, bomber comments or questions, you can throw them in the chat and uh, we'll get to those. Um, we got to start off with Mark Leggio. I mean, there's uh, so many different things. Harris's return, uh, Jake Mayer, but 
the special teams has been a big topic, uh, certainly on this program, certainly when you're when you've been talking about Justin Medlock leaving. Um, you know, we've got Tyler Kerpinia on the sixth game, and Mark Lee was almost handed the job in camp and then didn't have it to start the season. Um, a magical night. Four for four, game-winning field goal, and basically getting a mulligan on the game winner after the time cloud. I mean, there was something of everything. Let's talk about the uh, the rookie kicker and his impressive performance. Yeah, huge performance for Mark Leggio. Not his pro debut, but his pro place-kicking debut. He's been the Blue Bombers punter, obviously, since game one, but uh, following a uh, and a seemingly unseen injury to Tyler Kerpinia. He's on the six game injury list officially as a, with a hamstring. Um, you know, it opened the door for Mark Leggio to uh, emerge. Let me walk the viewers through the thought processes around the blue bombers kicking game in 2021. It started with where's Justin Medlock. Will he come back? Uh, and obviously he didn't a great cost cutting measure, kind of automatically handed to general manager Kyle Walters and going from $170,000 plus to a rookie entry-level contract for Mark Leggio. He's the only kicker to start camp. And the initial thought is, wow, like, okay, they have a ton of confidence in this guy, but from an objective observer, we're going to have to see how it goes. Couple rough days in the early going of camp. Montreal Alouettes had four kickers on their training camp roster, uh, and Tyler Kerpinia was the first to be cut. 48 hours later, he's in Winnipeg, and it's, wow, okay, I guess Mark Leggio, the, the young Canadian rookie out of Western, isn't quite ready for primetime. It went from pure confidence to serious question marks in the confidence in Mark Leggio. What did we see from Tyler Kerpinia? Well, not much. He was okay, definitely does not have the same leg strength as I would say the majority of kickers in the CFL pretty much changes his entire delivery when kicking above 40 and 45 yards really has to drive the ball just doesn't have that natural leg strength. What we saw from Mark Leggio is great power and pretty good accuracy punting. But what were we going to see from him in the field goal game and I was concerned. I know a lot of people were concerned. Rashid Bailey pulls in his third touchdown of the season early in the game, and Mark Leggio misses the 32-yard convert. Oh, boy. What are we going to get in this game? Well, they rolled him out pretty soon after, crushes a 50. The Jumbotron zooms in on him. His face is just pure elation. <laughs> Talk about getting um, you know, a 500-pound gorilla off your back. That was a great confidence-building kick for Mark Leggio. He went on to kick three more, so going four for four in the game, including that game winner. And you mentioned uh, it was a time count violation and that moved them back 10 yards normally you would lose a down but because it was inside three minutes and uh the bombers were already on third down they moved them back 10 yards so a 35 became a 45 no issue for mark leggio i don't think distance is the problem it's accuracy and it's, it's between the ears but he was ice cold and money uh in that game last night hustler and a huge performance for him bit of a mulligan for sure but uh that's the way the football gods painted the picture and for mark leggio um going into very very unfriendly confines at mosaic next week it's nice to have a, a four for four game uh under his belt uh, to go in there with with a good uh you know Chin held high and confidence good. Well, for sure. Huge for the football team. Huge for, I think, the confidence of the coach in their kicker. And 
I mean, confidence. So much of that job is a mental one, and uh, having a performance like that is huge. Uh, the other big story heading into the game, uh, I guess we got a Saturday morning, was the Bombers' depth chart, and who was there as RB1 was Andrew Harris. Listen, before I ask you about uh, Andrew, Darren, uh, let's hear what Harris had to say about his return last night post game. Yeah, it felt great. I mean, uh, after the first series, kind of got the jitters out of the way, and uh it was just good, out, good, good to be out there, and that was definitely a gully win on offense. I mean, we, we still got some, a lot of work to do, but uh, it was great to kind of get that win in that kind of fashion. Just a gully kind of, uh, you know, a grinder kind of a game, and you know, um, you know, some of those runs were tough runs, and and you know, we we, we were able to get that big kick at the last uh, the last second there, and, and then our defense shows up. So I mean, it's uh, it's one of those games where it gets you fired up, and and you know, there's lots of things to fix, and but you come up with a win like that, it's uh, it's it's great for everyone could see you jumping around before your first touch obviously pretty exciting just to be back and it's been a real long time hasn't it yeah absolutely I mean just just to get back on the field in general it was uh it was amazing and you know when you get the ball in your hands and you still feel like you can do the things you you've been, you've been doing um it's always a great feeling so definitely excited about uh you know I'm, I'm proud of, of, of the, the 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 game I put, I put out there and I'm, I'm proud of my teammates and how uh they supported me throughout this whole thing and mm-hmm. I'm just looking to improve on on this game and and going forward the rest of the games uh, throughout the season. All right, so there was Andrew Harris post-game yesterday. Uh, Darren, I mean, a nice start to the game. A couple big runs, got into the end zone, uh, handed it off to one of the old linemen for the spike and then had a bit of a moment with the crowd. A big emotional lift, but also a big lift to the bomber running game. What did you think about 33 in his debut this season? Same old Andrew Harris, right? You know, uh, watching him, uh, you know, get a couple short carries early and then rip off that 20-yard run, uh, I think really got, um, you know, the the wheels in motion for Andrew Harris. It's been nearly two years, if you can believe it, since he was, uh, you know, taking real live bullets and, and uh, you know, actual hits from uh, opposition. So I looked at his numbers post-game. 86 yards. And I was like, 86 yards, that stands out. What, what is that? He averaged 86 yards per game last season in 2019. <laughs> so for him to get 81 on the ground and, and five receiving and be involved in both facets and to hit that number that he averaged and to look like his normal, normal self, you know, lowers the pad level, delivers the blow, shifty when he needs to be, finishing runs, those legs always churning, trademark Andrew Harris. Um, I, I'm sure uh, the Blue Bombers staff and teammates were as relieved as all of the fans watching that Andrew Harris looks like his regular self well you know he had a great game you just saw some of the and the bombers by the way just kudos to the bombers Uh, they do such a great job of some you know scenes from inside the locker room we saw him doing the you got my back but with the team beforehand and um certainly was there at the end of the game getting the crowd going for the defense to step up um a big big return for andrew harris last night that was the good side of the bomber offense the bad side, Darren, was I can't remember a game where bomber receivers dropped as many balls as they did last night. I mean, you can make the argument. I believe Bob Irving did, and I sort of agree with them. You know, if the bomber receivers were a little more sure-handed, that game probably isn't close at the end of the game, but there they were. I mean, what do you make? I mean, it was everyone. Kenny Lawler, Rasheed Bailey. I mean, Drew Olatarski's had a few bad drops in a couple of games so far this season. Um it would just seem like we've seen these guys be pretty consistent and pretty sure handed before. Uh, what do you make of the drops and uh, the struggles of the receiving core? 
Offensive coordinator Buck Pierce talked about it all week about being mentally sharp and, and fixing some of those areas where, you know, mistakes were made. Uh, I, I commend Zach Kolaris after the game. Like, like he was good. He was 16 to 25. Like was that 67%? He would have been well over 70 oh. and, you know, thrown for, for 300 yards in that game. If, um, you know, they were able to, to pull those balls in. Um, so, you know, he, he, he mentioned how when receivers drop balls, it's glaring. When a tackle is missed, it's glaring. But if you're a quarterback, Kalara said, well, I can make up the wrong read. I can, you know, uh, make a mistake mentally and nobody knows any better. So uh, pointing that out, I think really showed a lot of leadership from the Blue Bombers quarterback, yeah. but no doubt uh, he must have been grimacing a little bit when, when those drops happened. Here's what blows my mind, Hustler. If you ask me about Kenny Lawler coming into this season or in week one, the first word out of my mouth would have been sticky. Like some of the best hands I've ever seen. And now we've seen him drop three balls in his last two games. I watched pretty much every single 12 on 12 rep in Blue Bombers training camp, like over three plus weeks. I saw him drop one ball out of maybe a hundred thrown his way. He's dropped three now in the last two games and it raises concern. I don't know if that concern is completely, um, you know, uh, a, a serious thing. I think it's more, wow, you know, it could have been a lot better if they were able to pull in some of these catches. And it's not just Kenny Lawler, as you mentioned, Drew Wolitarski, Rashid Bailey, some others in the last two games. Um, but it's glaring when this Blue Bombers offense is having trouble converting on second down. Uh, anybody inside that locker room, offense or defense, even Mark Leggio uh, and, and the special teams crew, they all say the same thing. The Blue Bombers did enough to win. Their goal every week is to improve to 1-0, and that's what they did. But you go into, uh, you know, you thought the Stampeders-Bombers was a rivalry game buckle up for the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl. It's going to be tough with huge levels of crowd noise at Mosaic Stadium when the Blue Bombers offense is on the field. They need those guys to secure catches. Zach Kolaris is doing a phenomenal job delivering the ball on the money all season. All right. I, I, we have to talk about Calgary for a minute. Yep. Um, you know, was it uh, we've had so much fun with the Paul Maurice impersonation by Kevin Weeks? I think that Dave Dickinson has the definition of big old church bells. The balls on him to call a bomb on third and two from their own 23 in a tie game with a quarterback in his second game was absolutely mind-blowing. And that play was as bizarre of a play as you'll see in the CFL all year long. Uh, I retweeted this out. Dustin Nielsen did an incredible job of the call yep. on that play. Um, the call itself, I mean, never mind what happened. We just couldn't believe that they were throwing the football in that case. They get a long ball, and then sure enough, a strip of the fumble, and then Adam Big Hill picks it back going the up the other way. Uh, it shows that Dickinson does not mind swinging for the fences in very, um, shall we say, unconventional situations. But it was also, I think, a nod to just how well rookie Jake Mayer was playing last night. A Stamps record, 16 straight completions. Um, what did you make of both the Calgary offense, the calls that Dickinson made, including the one, the pass to Mayer late in the game where he took a pretty yeah. big hit, but overall a pretty impressive performance by a young man in his second CFL game? Well, a couple things I'll touch on here. We'll start with Jake Mayer. 
all day long, it was Kadeem Carey handoffs and check down passing, uh, Josh Huff, and then Markeith Ambles. Like it was the same three guys he kind of kept going to uh, all day long. Kamar Jordan, you know, seven catches on eight targets uh, as well. But there were those series where it was Huff, Carey, Huff, Carey, Ambles, Carey, Huff, yeah, back and forth. And, and you know, he was just on the money, um, you know. <laughs> Jake Mayer uh, is is continuing to prove that the Calgary Stampeders quarterback room is a true factory of, of pumping out talent. Nick Arbuckle, Bo Levi Mitchell, um, now Jake Mayer. Um, you know, these are all three quarterbacks that are making it happen right now in the CFL. Uh, it's pretty impressive. As far as the Stampeders play calling, like it's one thing to throw a, a deep pass on third and two. But it's another to do it when you're inside your own 25 yard line uh, in insane. a tight football game, like absolutely insane. <laughs> and and then the, uh, you know, the the halfback pass, giving it to Ambles and then throwing it uh, to Jake Mayer uh, for, you know, a first down, I believe it was, uh, is another ballsy call. When you're an opposing team and you're facing a rookie quarterback straight out of college, Straight out of like, you know, FCS football, not even like elite NCAA, but that second level UC Davis, uh, University of California. Um, it's it, it's a, an opposing defense is always going to say, OK, they're going to keep him comfortable. They're going to be conservative, you know, max protect in a lot of situations to give him time. Not Dave Dickinson, not no. the Calgary Stampeders. <laughs> they let it fly. And, and uh, you know, uh, really loose surprise play calling to catch Richie Hall and Mike O'Shea off guard. It's always a chess match between O'Shea and Dickinson. Offense, defense, especially special teams. But in this game, you know, if, if I have to, you know, write it in the history books, it was the Dickinson offense versus uh, Mike O'Shea and Richie Hall's defense. Uh, that was really a, an interesting battle. Winnipeg came out of the gates with a lot of different looks. There's Shane Gauthier, a reserve linebacker and special teamer, right in the starting lineup, not on the starting lineup in the depth chart. I don't think he's even second on the depth chart, but there he was in a unique four linebacker set and they changed it up three man fronts, four man fronts, uh, even two man fronts. Well, they bring two defensive ends uh, in at the same time. Winnipeg, Tried throwing some some different looks at Jake Mayer. Didn't matter. I think it was 17 straight completions to begin the game, and he didn't throw an incompletion until the third quarter. If you set a franchise record in Calgary as a quarterback, it says a lot about uh, how special you are in your second game with just how good uh, Calgary's quarterbacking has been with Garcia and Dickinson and on and on. Doug Flutie, um, Jake Mayer really looks like the real deal. The best part about that was Dickinson was asked about that after the game and joked yeah. that, uh, well, it just shows you this, you know, we haven't had any good quarterbacks. <laughs> of course, he's Very one close. of them. And uh, yeah. I think the success they've had speaks for themselves. Um, just quickly, defensively, um, they gave up a lot of first downs. They gave up a lot of completions. But when it came down to it, they, uh, you know, with the exception of the touchdown from Kadeem Carey, stepped up when they needed to. And it was very interesting to see the way Richie Hall was calling that final minute of the game, um, DB. I mean, there's Adam Big Hill playing 35, 40 yards off the line of scrimmage as a safety right now. Um, they obviously had a plan where they knew how much they could give. Um, and they got right to the edge as that game-winning field goal came up just a yard or two short off the leg of Rene Paradis. 
my thought on the Blue Bombers defense was they got a little bit better as the game went on. I thought the defensive line, especially those guys on the interior, Ricky Walker and Casey Sales, those two American uh, rookie defensive tackles played really, really well. Jeff Code and, and Jefferson doing what they always do. Uh, diplomatically, I'll say I didn't like the uh, defensive play calling uh, from the Blue Bombers defense in the second quarter. I thought Calgary was, you know, really having their way. Great halftime adjustments. Uh, Calgary wasn't able to uh, do much more than two, three or four play drives through the third quarter. And then in the fourth, you know, Dickinson, no, not surprisingly, started to figure them out. Late in the game, the Bombers were rushing two and dropping everybody back into coverage. And you could see they're really trying to attack uh, the pass catcher right as he catches the ball. That's zone defense. That's prevent style defense. It worked just enough to make it a long enough field goal attempt for Renee Paredes to into the wind. It was a little bit gusty. I noticed the wind started to calm down late in the game, but Paredes is usually pretty good from 50 plus. That 52 yarder with zeros on the clock fell just short it was a game of inches last night hustler and uh, the blue bombers just proved to be the more fortunate team and ultimately the better team uh, i'm already looking forward to these these two teams meeting again in the regular season finale i think that's yep that's in calgary that's going to be a fun one and then who knows you know another playoff game between these two it, it just might be one in three stampeders if any team can turn uh their season around it's dave dickinson's crew Darren Bombing is with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Darren Bombing and make sure you're following and are subscribed to Bonfire Sports with all the great bomber content he's putting together as well as Game Day Winnipeg, which is a must listen and view before all bomber games doing it with the legend himself, Big Chris Walby. DB, a number of people in the chat. Uh, well, one person asking, uh, what's up with Dick Dembski and Kyrie Wilson? If we've got any uh, knowledge of them. And we talked a lot about the drops. Uh, I see... Uh, or was it David Asplund? Hey, has asked bombing about Naaman Roosevelt and if the Bombers might take a stab at getting him. Yeah, when it, when it comes to Roosevelt, I know, um, you know, John Hodge of Three Down Nation was mentioning him last night when these drops start to come and there's, you know, one of the most sure-handed receivers in CFL history in Naaman Roosevelt, uh, a free agent after being released by the Montreal Alouettes. Um, I'll throw cold water on this. I, I don't expect the Bombers to bring in any sort of receiver help. They are very deep. They have lots of options there. They're not going to move on from the likes of Kenny Lawler and Rasheed Bailey because they've had a, a couple games where, you know, something between between the ears is uh, getting them or they're hearing the the train coming in the train tracks and then they're they're thinking about uh, the move after the catch before pulling that ball in. Uh, the other question was about Dembski and Kyrie Wilson. Yes. So Dembski is interesting. It, it seemed like he got injured uh, in practice and it's a hip injury uh, has not been on the field in any capacity since that happened two weeks ago. We'll continue to monitor that. Kyrie Wilson and fellow weak side linebacker John Terrell Rockamore, who started week one when Wilson was um, initially hurt, uh, all three of those guys are dealing with hip injuries. And I've been watching the injury report closely. In Kyrie Wilson's case, it was a thigh injury, then a hip, now specifically a hip flexor. Um, it's been well over a month now since he has been able to participate uh, in on-field activities. But of course, Michael Shea never going to uh, divulge too much information. But you have to wonder how serious this injury is when, you know, we're creeping into five, six weeks now. No doubt about it. Um, so, I mean, a thriller last night. I mean, it wasn't maybe an uh, offensive uh, exhibition the way you're used to seeing between these two clubs. Uh, but everyone left with a smile on their face and they got their money's worth last night and a very exciting game. 
And now, Darren, we move on to the biggest two weeks of the regular season. The Labor Day Classic, the Banjo Bowl, the Riders, the Bombers battling for first place in the West. What a couple of weeks we've got coming up. Oh, no question. And uh, the highway is going to be busy going west uh, this coming weekend. I'm going to try to get out there early and uh, avoid the traffic and settle in a little bit. But uh, looking forward to, to bringing people Blue Bombers coverage uh, from Regina this weekend. Um, it, it's weird that it's happening so early in the season. Like it's August. The weather last night was perfect football weather but it's already starting to feel like late september uh but uh, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun uh, with these games regardless if it's early in the season or late in the season um these two games no question are going to be ones uh, we're going to look back on when you know playoff picture is starting to be painted here in the cfl because these two teams are, are the best in the cfl right now and um it's going to be a heck of a clash this coming weekend db great stuff uh, what do you got cooking on uh, bonfire this week heading into the labor day classic yeah, obviously, there's going to be a lot of uh, rivalry storylines. There's so many new players on this Blue Bombers team, particularly on defense. It's going to be so new to them, uh, this rivalry. I love talking to those first-year Blue Bombers players about what their teammates tell them about playing against the Riders on Labor Day and Mosaic, the back-to-back that is that, and the Banjo Bowl. And, uh, of course, Chris Walby will join me, as he always does, um, unvarnished takes on the Blue Bombers. They might be 3-1, and one, but uh, we're not afraid to talk about the areas they need to be better no doubt about it db thanks so much for doing this glad you're feeling better sounding great and uh say what's up to walby can't wait for the next edition of game day winnipeg appreciate it Haas. always uh love being on the show you and remo be good right on there's darren bombing at darren bombing as i mentioned and uh for those of you if you're listening on the podcast make sure you go to youtube and check out bonfire sports and while you're there make sure you're subscribed to winnipeg sports talk all right we're gonna get to the hockey story the canes offer sheet of Jesperi barry uh before we do that a big shout out to our friends at not auto corp took the game in with trevor not last night had a great time Appreciate the hospitality. And of course, if you're thinking about getting into a new vehicle, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? Pop down and see them at Waverly and McGilvery. Um, especially if you've never seen the Teslas before, I got a ride a couple weeks ago in one. Wow, we've got a number of them on the lot, uh, but so much more than just that. Service your car, they'll detail it as well. Uh, it's all there at Not Auto Corp, Waverly and McGilvery, or check out them online at not.ca. Uh, It is a bit nicer out today. Maybe it is patio time again at Boston Pizza. Whether you're inside or outside, the new summer menu is here. You can enjoy the Burger Italiano, the Honey Dill Fried Chicken Sandwich, and all the great patio drinks they put together, including the White Sangria Smash, the Peachy Mojito Royale, and the Bulldog Margarita Fish Bowl, and of course, Burger Week starting as well. We'll get the details on what BP has cooking up for the next couple weeks. Summer's here. Bring your appetite. Sunglasses optional at Boston Pizza. And live racing's back tonight at Assiniboia Downs. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they'll go to the post at 7.30 p.m. If you've got your proof of vaccination, you're good to go. In 50% capacity in the lower level, both indoors and outdoors. VLTs upstairs open from 9 until 12.15. And Michael Remus and I will get back at it with our picks and the duel at the Downs a little bit later on before the end of the program. 
But right now, let's go out to Montreal and welcome in Joey Alfieri to uh, talk about a pretty interesting weekend when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes. Joey, what's good, man? Great to have you back on the program. How's things? Yeah, things are good. Things are never dull uh, around here. We're just glad to get some uh, some drama in the NHL in August. I, I know it puts Montreal in a bit of a difficult spot, but uh, I love it. I want more of this in the NHL. Well, I mean, you know, we talked about it a little earlier went over the tweets and I mean the, the level of pettiness is something I have not seen maybe ever in the National Hockey League but take us back to Saturday what were you doing how did you find out and what was your reaction when you saw what was going on yeah it's funny uh, my wife and I were like we literally had one foot out the door we were uh, going out to uh, grab a bite to eat and I told her like my phone got the, the TSN notification and I'm like I gotta sit down like I gotta process this before we leave the house uh, and it was uh, it was great I mean just uh, following along on the uh, Hurricanes Twitter account was uh, was fun and I realized I think you know, half the fan base is kind of upset at the Hurricanes. Uh, maybe some people are upset at Kotkaniemi, but I think for the most part, uh, the educated fan realizes that, uh, listen, it's business. Uh, this is how the NHL rolls. You want to submit an offer sheet a couple of years ago. It was all fine and dandy, but now I feel like Carolina puts you in a much more difficult spot than you put them a couple of years ago. So I think most people are entertained by it, even though they realize that the Canadians have a huge decision to make this week. Um, but uh, there's definitely a portion of the fan base that's upset at the pettiness. There's no doubt. Well, you know what I mean? I think you make a great point because obviously these two offer sheets are going to be compared. I mean, I remember when, you know, the Aho offer sheet went down and we talked about it for a little bit and we said, you know what, in some ways, I'm sure Carolina would have liked to have gotten more term, but it wasn't like the number was so outrageous that they weren't going to match. I mean, it was sort of like they just did the work for them and got it taken care of. Um, but Tom Dunnett apparently does not forget. <laughs> we saw that in spades with what happened on the weekend. Um, this one a little different. They had the cap space to make it happen. We obviously know that they were targeting Montreal for a reason and for one reason only. Um, but as you mentioned, this does put the Habs in a very precarious situation because even if they hold their nose and match the offer, and keep Kokkiniemi at $6.1 million, which is probably at least three times as to what he's probably worth based on his stats and where he is as an RFA, um, they don't really have the money to do it right now. I mean, if they sign that deal, even with the LTIR allotment, it would put him $2 million over the cap. I mean, uh, this is a real cap crunch right now, and I'm not sure how difficult the decision is because I think the logic says you might just have to walk away from this. I just I think it's so hard to walk away though. Um, I is. think they can make it work. There's some cap gymnastics that need to be done. I think they can make it work. I think it gets a little more complicated when uh, Paul Byron has to come off injured reserve and in, you know sometime in December. But it's just given what you have behind Nick Suzuki, you don't have anything not long term and not uh, in the right here right now to play that second line center role. And I mean the thing is what makes this really intriguing is that. I mean, we don't even know if Kotkaniemi's ready to play in that role. He had a really good first year as an 18-year-old. I think he surprised a lot of people by picking up, I think it was 34 points or whatever. But it's been a roller coaster ride since then. But this is still a young player, even though he's entering year four, he just turned 21. So to me, I know that there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of the ceiling with this player. But um I think unless you can find somebody willing to trade you a centerman for the first and third that Carolina's sending your way, maybe you add a little something else. I think it puts you in a tough spot, but you've got a match. I mean, he's come through in some big moments 
uh, in the playoffs. I mean, most notably game six in overtime against Toronto to force a game seven. He's the one who scored the big goal. And I, I get it. He's shooting at over 20% and he can't sustain that in the playoffs. But this is still a young player who's come through time and time again in, in certain big moments. So uh, as much as he needs to work on his consistency, as much as uh, there's still some untapped potential there, and, and with that, there are some question marks. I just, I don't know that you can let him walk. I think with Carolina, I think they genuinely like the player. I think they want the player and they realize that they pay him $6 million this year uh, to get him into the building. And then maybe you can get him signed to a longer term, you know, maybe a three, four, five-year deal at somewhere in the four, four and a half, five million dollar range. It's still expensive for him. But if you like him that much and you feel like you can get the most out of him, uh, I think that's the key. I think Carolina doesn't just see this as a short-term play. You've got to think big picture with this guy. They clearly believe in him. No, I, I think you're bang on it. And let me ask you this. I mean, there has been speculation that this is a $6.1 million offer sheet, but the Canes have actually worked out a longer-term deal that you know will be signed at a much lower AAV once they are able to do that if he stays there. Um, are you buying that? Do you think that might be part of this whole uh, whole song and dance? I think logically you would you would have to do it that way and you have to approach it that way if you're Carolina. And, and look, I think um, oftentimes, like we're hearing this with like a lot of Canadians fans are writing to me on Twitter and saying, it's fine, let them walk, offer sheet Pedersen in Vancouver. But it's just, I feel like Carolina executed this to perfection in the sense that the, the star players that are RFAs, the teams are never going to let them walk. You offer sheet Pedersen at 10, 11 million, what, four first round picks, whatever it is, there's no chance, like Vancouver might be annoyed, but there's no chance that you're getting Elias Pedersen from Vancouver. So I think Carolina, and that's and, and the same goes for Montreal back with Sebastian Ajo. I think even if the Canadians offer $10 million a year, there's no way that Carolina's letting a point-per-game player in his early 20s who plays down the middle go. So from that sense, I think Carolina's approached this in a perfect way. You have to identify a young player who has a high enough ceiling that you feel you can get the most out of, but somebody who hasn't reached this potential yet so that you make uh, the decision for the team who you're targeting, you have to make the decision interesting. And that's what Carolina's done. So I think you're spot on. I think that's the play. You get him into the building at $6 million. It's clearly not worth it. And then if you like him as much as you say you do, you go out, you sign him to a multi-year deal, and the AAV is less, so you don't have to go out and qualify him at $6.1 million next year if he struggles again or only makes you know marginal improvements uh, in 2021-22. So I think the execution uh, of this offer sheet is a blueprint to what the less, the rest of the general manager should do. This is how an offer sheet should be done. You don't go out and try to spend it, you know, on the big time players because teams will always match. You go out and you go after the Kotkin Yemis who are young enough that they still have enough upside, but that you can go out there and give the teams a difficult time, you know, making this decision over the course of a week. TSN's Joey Alfieri joining us from Montreal, discussing the Canes signing a Jess Berry Kotkaniemi to a $6.1 million offer sheet over the weekend. The Habs have seven days to match. You know, just building off what you just said, Joey, I mean, we always joke around on the program. I mean, people, when there's nothing to talk about, they start talking about offer sheets and we're like, let's just leave because these things don't happen. They never happen. Well, it happened in this case for the first time since 2019, and we all know why it happened. The fact that the Canes did this, how do you think this is resonating with other general managers? And as much as you just very correctly stated, this is the way you do it if you want to make it successful. The fact that this is a revenge signing, um, do you think that this will do anything to 
change the way general managers feel uh, and operate going forward? So I feel like it's just kind of like a, it gives them another reason to say like, hey, you know what? This is why we don't offer sheet players because <laughs> what goes around comes around. So it kind of unfortunately uh, proves their point. And, and I think we've seen, you know, revenge offer sheets before. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people, you know, around here that say like, oh, how could Kotkaniemi show his face uh, in the Canadians locker room again? I mean, look, I think the relationship between the player uh, and the organization might be, I don't know, I feel like fractured might be a, a big word, but it's going to be different. But I think the players understand, like, hey, go out and do what's good for you. Uh, like, uh, again, you mentioned, you know, Kakanyemi potentially getting three times more than what he's worth. If that's what it takes to land the player you believe in, you go out and do it. I just, unfortunately, I think this just gives the, you know, the old school general managers pause and it allows them to say like, hey, you know what? This is why we don't do it because when we're in a bit of a cap crunch, and we have an RFA that we want to bring back at two, two and a half million. There's a chance that the team that, you know, we went out and targeted a couple of years ago is going to come back and offer them a lot more money. And it puts us in a, in a difficult situation. So uh, unfortunately, I think this is another example of why we're not going to get a lot of offer sheets, but I'm here for them. Uh, has anyone heard from Mark Bergevin since all this went down? And uh, what's uh, what's Bergie doing? Are we going to get a replay of the Brian Burke, Kevin Lowe uh, <laughs> fight challenge in a barn at some point? But I don't understand, like, he might be upset about it, but I don't understand how you can publicly be upset about it. Like, this is something that you tried and you failed at. And as much as, you know, it might be annoying and it might be petty on the on the Hurricanes part, I mean, what can you come out and say? It's a part of the CBA. It's something you tried on this team. And, and now they've they've turned around and they've tried it on you. So we haven't heard from him. Uh, I'd imagine he was somewhere on vacation when he uh, potentially got this news. So I'm sure he's not in the best of moods uh, that he has to deal with such a big decision uh, at this point. But I'm I'm really I'm just fascinated to see how this plays out because if, again, like by CBA rules, if you match, you've got to keep him for a year. You can't trade Kock and Yemi for an entire year. So uh, you've got to make sure that you hit. You've got to make sure that your projections are, are as correct as you can possibly be. And uh, I, I can't wait to hear from them. I can't wait to hear what they have to say about this. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Now, um, you've got your ear to the ground there in Montreal. And you mentioned that a number of Habs fans were sort of pissed off at the Canes that they would do that. And I get it, especially with the way they put salt in the wounds. They changed their they changed their <laughs> Twitter profile description to French. Yeah. They were tweeting in French. I mean, it was just so over the top. But let me ask you about Kakiniemi. I mean, this is a young man, I believe, who's the third overall pick in the draft. I mean, he had mm -hmm. that rookie season. He had some big, big moments in the playoffs that you mentioned. But, of course, he did start and finish the playoffs as a healthy scratch. The fact that he signed this deal and was, in some ways, an accomplice to putting the Habs in this situation, if they match, where is Kotkaniemi within the, um, within the organization? And... How do the fans react to the return of Kakiniemi if, in fact, he is matched and does return? Yeah, I, I think if he comes out and has the, the season, and maybe, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to live up to a $6 million cap hit, but I think if he comes out and shows that he'll take a big step in year four, especially offensively, uh, playing with better players, by the way, because, again, the Canadians lost Phil Deneau, so that's another guy down the middle. And, and so I think if Kotkaniemi's back, he's going to get an opportunity to potentially play with a, a Brendan Gallagher or a Tyler Toffoli, a Mike Hoffman, or whoever. So I think they'll put him in a good spot. But if he continues to struggle the way he has offensively over the last couple of years and it's a bit of a roller coaster ride in year four like it was in years two and three, 
uh, I think the fan base is going to get on him, and I think he quickly uh, turns into the uh, to the whipping boy uh, here in Montreal. So uh, I, I just I'm so fascinated. But like this was a fascinating storyline for him going into the year, just just because of the way Mark Bergevin spoke about Kotkaniemi on you know after the first day of free agency, uh, Bergevin meets the media. He's asked about Kotkaniemi being the second line center, and he didn't necessarily give him a glowing endorsement. So. Uh, now, the fact that you have an offer sheet on top of that, so you kind of upset the organization in that way, too. I think this is the most intriguing storyline uh, of any you know Canadian market going into the year. I think this is the one, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Because if he comes out, picks up you know, a respectable 50 points and you know, flirts with 15, 16, 17, 18 goals, then I think the story kind of dies down a little bit. But if he struggles to produce, I mean, oof, this is going to be a season-long thing here. No, there, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Now, outside of this... This. I mean, what, would, what did you make of the Habs offseason? I mean, I had that incredible run to the cup final, but since that's happened, I mean, the questions about Price's future, Shea Weber's future, um, a lot of things have been happening around this club. Yeah, it kind of feels like they, they lost the guts of the team that went to uh, the Stanley Cup final, doesn't it? Like uh, Shea Weber's career might be over. He's certainly not going to play this year. Uh, Corey Perry leaving for Tampa Bay. I know he didn't put up the biggest numbers, but he was such an important part uh, of what they did uh, over the course of the season. Uh, they lost Phil Deneau, who is uh, you know, a quality two-way centerman. You don't usually see uh, centermen you know, at that age leave, especially their hometown or their home province, rather. So I know they tried to replace a lot of these guys, and, and I like David Savard. I like Mike Hoffman, um, and they lost Thomas Tatar also, who was their leading point getter a couple seasons ago, by the way. But it's just there's so much unknown, and they're so unproven down the middle. Uh, Carey Price, again, had off-season surgery. He's supposed to be available uh, either at the start of the year or you know a week or two into the season, so that's not a, a huge concern, but they were able to retain uh, Jake Allen so he could hold down the fort. But there's so many question marks uh, on and off the ice. Like Shea Weber is an important leader to that team. He, he's a big part of what they do off the ice, and he's a big part of establishing the culture that they were able to establish over the last few years with their young players. And I'm sure he's going to be around but it's just it's not the same when the guy's not going into battle with you. So they have a lot of question marks, like we said, uh, in terms of down the middle. I think that's the biggest one. Will they get any type of production outside of Nick Suzuki? I feel like they're okay on the wings. They're pretty deep uh, when it comes to uh, what they have there. Um, but again, it's just about can you can you replicate the the season that Jeff Petrie had because he was unbelievable. But he's approaching his mid thirties now. Uh, can you get something out of Brendan Gallagher? He was good in the regular season, struggled in the playoffs, was very banged up. Um, but just that 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 heart and soul, the guts of the team that went to the playoffs and the Stanley Cup final seems to be missing. No doubt about it. Joey Alfieri of TSN in Montreal joining us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, the one name we haven't mentioned and really didn't mention much for the final few months of the season and certainly in the playoffs is Jonathan Drouin. Yeah. What What's the latest on Jonathan Drouin? What do we know about his absence of the club and do they expect him to be a part of the team next year? Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks like he's going to be uh, going to training camp with the team. I'm not sure if they tried to move him or not. I, I'd imagine that his value right now is at, a, is at an all-time low, so they kind of have to bring him in and hope that he has – a good season, but we just, we don't know much. Like the coach had his golf tournament uh, last week and uh, Jonathan drawing was there, but not meeting the media. Jonathan drawing usually has his charity golf tournament and he had it again. 
but he didn't speak there. So we haven't really heard much. We don't really know uh, what the details are. What we've been led to believe is that it's some sort of uh, mental health issue. And uh, look, I, I, again, I think Dominic Ducharme kind of is the right coach to get the most out of Jonathan Drouin. He seemed to be a little bit more comfortable under Ducharme than he was under Julien. Of course, they go back with the Halifax Mooseheads uh, in the queue, won a Memorial Cup together. So I think they'll put him in a position to succeed, but it's also up to the player. He's got to produce. And he, I know he's not a guy who scores a ton of goals. He's more of a, a pass-first winger uh, than he is a shooter. But you've got to do better than two goals in 44 games or whatever it was. But I just I think again we talked about how deep they were on the wings and they have guys like Toffoli, Anderson, Gallagher, uh, Caulfield, Armias, uh, Byron. Whenever he gets back and he's healthy, like they've got the bodies. They don't need him to be the go-to guy offensively. They need him to be one of the guys. But it's vital that you know he does help them on the power play because he is he should be a good power play player. He's a skilled guy, and at five on five, he needs to do more than he's done here. Uh, so I expect him to be part of this club for how long? I don't know. Um, but he's a guy who he hasn't flown under the radar in Montreal. He's been a talking point for most of the summer, but I understand why he kind of got lost in the shuffle nationally. No doubt. I mean, when you're watching the team, you're talking about the guys that are in the lineup, and when a player is away in that sort of situation, I mean, you're not beating it over the head talking about it every day because you know, frankly, that it wasn't changing, and it didn't, and, you know, to the Habs' credit, um, they didn't look like they missed a beat without him going, well, we all know how far they went in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Speaking of the playoffs, one guy that I thought might play more in the playoffs that we did see at times was uh, was Romanov on the blue line. How much are they expecting from Romanov going into next year, especially with Shea Weber on the shelf? Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. It, it, that's what they need. They, that's who they need to step up. Like it's one thing to bring in uh, a David Savard in free agency, and he can kind of fill uh, some of the holes that are left by Shea Weber. But I think the Canadians need. Uh, their young defenseman Romanov, like you've seen some some really good stuff with Romanov, and you saw some things uh, in his game, especially in his own end, that need some some fixing. But he's a 21 year old kid who clearly has a, a ton of upside. I think he's got the potential to be a, a top pairing guy down the road. But I think they want him to settle in and be that you know top four defenseman that they might be lacking a puck mover a guy who's not shy about throwing his weight around. And again, you didn't really get to see him much uh, in the playoffs. They went with the veterans instead. And I don't think many people agreed with them, but it's hard to disagree based on, you know, the end result. But I think Romanov is one of those guys that you want to look to if you're the Canadians to take a huge step forward. And he's got to eat some of those minutes uh, that are going to be left by Shea Weber. And, um, and yeah, I think he's clearly one of those guys that they believe in. Uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, that again, got off to a, a good start. He was kind of naive uh, in a funny way early on, like you saw him take some chances and in, uh, in some big moments. And then, the, you know, the coaches did try to rein him in a little bit, and I think it played with his head. But now he's got a shortened off season to kind of uh, look back and, and see what the good and the bad that he was able to do uh, in, uh, in year one. But this is a player they need a lot more out of in year two, and I think that he's got the upside to do it. You know, just back to Bergeron for a minute. Um, you know, he was looking pretty good in those medium shirts during the playoffs <laughs> as his team bounced the Jets and then Vegas and went to the final. But after that, it seems like this has been a pretty tough offseason. And I mean, I think the one thing we haven't brought up is the Canadians' incredibly controversial selection of Logan Mayu in the draft, which I think, you know, definitely put you know, the, the the historic organization in a bit of a bad light amongst a good portion of the fan base. You know, you mentioned, we've talked about some of the other problems they've had through the offseason, and now this. 
uh, is, is all the shine off Bergevin from that great playoff run? And now people are onto new things that are much more problematic for the Habs. No doubt about it. I think that's the way a lot of the fan base kind of looks at it. You built all this positive momentum, um, you know, coming out of a COVID season where, you know, it really was, I mean, not just for us here in Montreal, but for, you know, around the world, it was uh, very much doom and gloom. We were locked in our houses all winter. And then the Canadians, you know, they turn around and they give you this long, unexpected run and, things you know seem to be turning around see things seem to be looking up but it's just it's been one thing after another you mentioned the the logan mayu uh situation i think everybody was kind of shocked uh by that and the organization definitely took a, a pr hit there there's no doubt about that uh, but then you got the weber news uh, they lost guys in free agency they weren't able to retain a guy like phil Deneau. Um it's just you know the carry price uh, Seattle thing kind of took off and there was a chance that he might be gone and then he needed surgery. It was announced that week. So it just, it seems like as much as they were able to bring in guys, some local players, some good players like uh, pocket Perot and Savard, it just seems like a lot of the other major headlines have been negative ones. So uh, I think that uh, you're exactly right. Whether, whether the fan base is right or wrong remains to be seen. We'll see what the team looks like on the ice, but a lot of the shine uh, from that uh, run to the Stanley cup final seems to be worn off. Oh, Joey, this has been a heck of a lot of fun having you on the program. Hey, uh, before we go, I do want to ask you about uh, the Alouettes. Um, I think we saw the Hamilton team that many of us expected to come out of the gate. Um, I was really impressed with the Alouettes in the first couple of games. You know, the victory was there for them against Calgary. It didn't happen. Uh, But now at one and two, I mean, is it still positive around the Alouettes? Are they sort of looking themselves at one and two going, we should be better than this right now. Uh, they should absolutely be better than this right now. And I think the biggest question mark uh, that needs to be answered, and I, I want to be clear, it's not all on the quarterback, but uh, you know, I think with Vernon Adams Jr., what you saw in week two in their first game of the season against Edmonton, big place. They, they, they completed some long passes, you know, a long touchdown pass to Jake Winicky. They made some big plays to BJ Cunningham. Uh, they were able to get Vernon Adams out of the pocket and, and throwing on the run, and they hit on a lot of those plays. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for Montreal, I think Calgary's defensive backs did a really, really good job limiting uh, what they were able to do in the long you know, passing game, and it affected them. There's no doubt about that. And you look at what uh, the uh, Tiger Cats were able to do on Friday night, these teams are starting to figure out that you've got to challenge Montreal in the intermediate passing game. So Hamilton did a great job of limiting William Standback. He really didn't do much in that game, which is problematic for the Owls because you want to be able to roll off that play action to open up things in the passing game. And the other thing Hamilton did, they made sure they didn't get beaten over the top. They didn't give up big plays in the passing game. So you're forcing Vernon Adams to make those intermediate throws that he he's just doesn't seem to be comfortable with right now. And for the Owls, a lot of what they want to do is you know run the ball, be patient, but hit on those big plays. And when they're not able to do that, they've shown so far through three games that the intermediate passing game doesn't work. So it's very hard to go on long drives and sustain possession. And, and that's why offensively they've been very limited. The, def- the, the, the decision-making from Vernon Adams needs to be better. Uh, they were up 14-3 in Calgary. They're driving in Calgary territory and he throws a huge interception uh, inside the 10. And the Owls never really got momentum back until late in the fourth quarter. And it ended up being too late. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, 
on Friday night at home against Hamilton. They're down 13-10, and he throws a, you know inexcusable, unforgivable pass to the wide side of the field that gets picked off by Frankie Williams, and that was it, and they never were able to bounce back. So there are other issues, but the quarterback needs to be a lot more consistent with his decision-making and execution, especially uh, with the intermediate throws. Yeah, no doubt about that. And the East is very interesting right now. I mean, no one saw Hamilton starting off at 0-2, but I think big picture when you think about it, they started it in Winnipeg in the opening game and then went to Saskatchewan. And those really do look like two of the best teams in the Canadian Football League right now, Joey. Um, But in the meantime, the Toronto Argonauts have looked like they are legit this year. Um, That was a huge opportunity for Montreal to really put some space between them and the Grey Cup favorite at the beginning of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I don't think the the Montreal schedule has been a walk in the park either, but I think you know, all things considered going into Friday night, and this is why I was expecting a lot more on Friday night, is because if you tell me at the beginning of the year, listen, you're going to go to Edmonton, you're going to go to Calgary, you're coming back one and one, and you get to play Hamilton at home in your home opener, uh, then I'd say, you know what, you take that. Um, but I think there was a real opportunity missed here, just given the circumstances and no bully by Mitchell in Calgary uh, and, you know, Hamilton kind of being uh, in a state of flux right now. I think there was a, a good opportunity to go into Ottawa at two and one at the very least. And Ottawa's offense looks even worse than Montreal's. And you could come out of this three and one. Now you're in a situation where you're going to Ottawa on Friday night. They're asking themselves some questions offensively. You've got questions offensively and there's no way that you can come back home one and three. I mean, look, the season's young, but we're going into Labor Day. It's a 14-game season, and if you have aspirations to win the East, which I think this team is talented enough to do, you cannot come back home one and three. There's just no way given you know who you've played and the talent level that you have around you. So I'm not, I'm not calling this a must-win game on Friday night, but you're certainly putting yourself in a bit of a hole if you don't get a result in Ottawa. Joey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Last one on the way out. It's back to the Kokaniemi signing. They've got seven days to match. Do they take the full seven days? And uh, if you had to put a nickel on it, which way is it going to go? So I, I look, I think uh, I don't want to cop out on you, but I think they'll take the time. I'll take, I think they'll take the full time, but I think they would be wise to, I think the only way you can really salvage this is if you can take the picks and trade them elsewhere and get yourself some help down the middle. I know the, the big, you know, the guy that everyone's been, you know, linking to Montreal is Christian Dvorak out in uh, Arizona, uh, 25-year-old player, you know, seems to, you know, he seems to have put up some decent numbers last year. So if you can go out and get yourself a guy like that to be your number two center, I think you owe it to yourself to do that. Uh, but in the end, I don't know that they're going to be able to get themselves a center with a first and a third round pick or even a little bit more. So I think they take the full time. And in the end, I think that they're going to reluctantly match uh, and they're going to hope for the best that Kakanyemi can uh, that Kakanyani can develop, take a big step forward, and hopefully you can get you know a reasonable long-term deal done with him. I just it's too early to walk away from the third overall pick in the 2018 draft. He just turned 21 in July. I think there's some upside there, but there's no doubt that it it just it seems like a lose-lose either way. Joey, this was a great chat, my man. Thanks so much for doing this, uh, folks. You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Alfieri and check out him and the gang on TSN at 690. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, great stuff. There's Joey Alfieri with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, let's get Remus back in here for a minute because we have some breaking news. We were just speaking with Darren Bombing about, oh, will the Bombers sign Naaman Roosevelt? Will they consider about it? Well, no need to consider anymore. They have just put out the Blue Bombers have added veteran receiver Naaman Roosevelt. 
He comes to the Bombers with extensive CFL experience during his time with the Riders from 2015 to 2019. Two-time 1,000-yard receiver and uh, was Saskatchewan's most outstanding player in 2016 and named a West Division All-Star in 2017. Um, we figured there might be some sort of response to all the drops in yesterday's game. And, well, we got it right there. Naaman Roosevelt, now a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, just in time to play his old team twice in the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl. We'll have much more on the signing coming up the rest of the week here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. All right, we're going to talk some golf. Uh, do want to thank Little Brown Jug for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, locally brewed right here in Winnipeg. The flagship brand is the 1919. You can have that, but most you know solid bars around the city will certainly have that on tap. And again, you can get it at your favorite beer store or pop down to the brewery on William Avenue. Maybe meet some friends out on the patio, a couple slices of pizza, a few pints. It doesn't get much better than that. You can order Little Brown Jug online for delivery within the city of Winnipeg. Order by 2 p.m. You'll get it next day delivery. Uh, and you can also schedule a delivery as well. And don't forget, Little Brown Jug is in Craft Beer Corner at the ballpark beginning tomorrow, seven days, the 31st of August to the 6th of September. Big homestand coming up for the Gold Eyes, and you can enjoy the good stuff, Little Brown Jug at Craft Beer Corner. And don't forget about that summer variety pack, still available now, including the summer ale and the Hefeweizen. And of course, a big shout out to our friends at Breezy Bend. We do all of our golf reports for Breezy Bend. And we've got a great guest coming up in just a second to talk about an epic playoff yesterday in the BMW Championship. But if you are thinking about a great home for you and your family on the golf course next year, give Corey Johnson a call over at Breezy Bend. You can get on the waiting list for next season. You can find out more at breezybend.ca. Incredible junior program, ladies programs as well. And the 19th hole might be even better than the 18 on the course. Big shout out to Breezy Bend. Uh, so let's talk some golf. Very much looking forward to welcoming in our next guest. Uh, for those of you who uh, follow our good friend Gabriel Morenci, he often has Mr. Dubsy himself on to talk golf, a former caddy, now golf analyst with Sports Grid, always jumping on with Gabe and Cam. It is a pleasure to welcome Dubs Anderson for the first time to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Dubsy, what's up? It's a pleasure to have you on the program. How are you, mate? I got a little distracted when you said the 19th watering hole. My ears <laughs> perked up. But hey, we, we got to talk about this playoff. But everyone knows Dubsy loves a cold beverage. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're with like-minded individuals here in uh, here in the peg. Thanks so much for doing this. This was, I mean, you've been around the game for a long time, and we've had some wild playoffs this year. I mean, uh, what was that? A seven-man playoff for the bronze medal in Tokyo, and then yeah. a six-man playoff one by Kiz a couple weeks back. But the playoff we saw yesterday had a little bit of everything. Drama, uh, maybe some side eyes from the players, uh, some incredible shot making, and two players about as different as you could have. Um, take us back to yesterday. I mean, what did you think about that? And how will people remember such an epic toe-to-toe battle between Pat Cantlay, now referred to as Patty Ice, and uh, Bryson DeChambeau, maybe the most polarizing figure in all of sports? Yeah, you're not wrong. And look, this is a golf tournament where I was sort of a little harsh on it probably yesterday because I'm sick of seeing these golf tournaments get to 25, 27 under par for me. That, that's not a test of golf. So if DeChambeau went on to win this one, we'd be complaining today. You know, that these golf courses can't defend against the big hitters. 
But look, Paddy Ice, Paddy Candler, he showed us that you could still win these golf tournaments by doing it the old school way. And look, they're two contrasting golfers. I mean, DeChambeau, he just doesn't know how to shut his mouth and make life easy for himself. But look, they're two supremos of the golfing world, two superstars in the game. I can't fault them. I thought they were both incredible yesterday. I'm going to call it one of the best playoffs we've seen in the golf space in modern time. I thought they were both incredibly clutch. They had opportunities. They let the other ones in. But look, we've got to go back to the 14th hole when uh, Bryson DeChambeau called out Cantlay for walking during his pre-shot routine as he was getting ready to pull the trigger. And for me, I mean, that gave Cantlay the chip on the shoulder that he didn't need to give him. And it, it made it very awkward for, for DeChambeau himself. So again, you know, his mouth got him in a bit of trouble. But look, I, I can't fault DeChambeau. His golf game on the golf course, incredible. I mean, Cantley probably put on the best putting display we've ever seen. Over 14 strokes he picked up via strokes gained putting. But if he did not, we'd be talking about DeChambeau's driving display as probably the best we've seen all year long. It was it was remarkable. Not only is he long, he's hidden fairways. So a couple of heavyweights going toe-to-toe yesterday. Great to see it for the BMW Championship. Well, okay, well, Dubs, let's go back to 14 for a minute because you've spent a lot of time inside the ropes. Um how strange was that scene? Does that happen all the time? Or, and it just happened to be in a spot where all the cameras were on them? Or is that just Bryson being Bryson? Look, th- this happens a lot, right? And, and you know, some golfers uh, try to go about their business nonchalant. But look, if, if that happens, and when I was canning, you'd wait a couple of minutes. You'd back off, start your pre-shot routine. Th- there's no malice from Patrick Canley. He's not trying to set a world record of, of how quick he can get to the green. He just wasn't you know, clear that DeChambeau was getting ready to pull the trigger. But in true Bryson form, he has to yell out. I mean, we've got thousands watching. The, the mics are right there. So, of course, they're going to pick it up. Patrick, can you stop walking? I mean, he's just not making it easy for himself, right? Like, he easily could have put the club back in the, the bag, start your pre-shot routine, go again. But, of course, the way he does things, he has to call it out. He's very brash. And right now, it's not helping him. This carry-on... Is not helping his golf game. It's definitely to his disadvantage. So for me, I think someone's got to pull him aside, just have a couple of words with him. But again, he's camp. They're probably telling him, you're doing the right thing here, buddy, but it's not helping his golf game. Well, Dubs, I think you make a great point because, I mean, I was very emotionally invested in this. First of all, I can't stand Bryson DeChambeau, and I'm certainly not alone. I was also sitting on a 27-to-1 ticket on Pat Cantley from before the tournament, so I'm sweating this all out. And Cha-ching. when that happened on the 14th hole, um, I mean, Cantley's a flatliner. I mean, you never get any emotion out of him. And it, if you didn't believe that it pissed him off when it happened, all you needed to see was how he handed up after winning. I mean, yeah. who was that guy? <laughs> who was that guy? Getting the crowd it wasn't going, Patty right? Cantley. I mean, he was, I, I don't want to say he was rubbing it in, but he was making damn sure everyone, including his opponent, knew that he just took this thing down in an epic playoff and was was celebrating the way you know one would do that. But I couldn't believe I was seeing it, but it made a lot of sense after what you just described happening during the original 18. I mean, you, you love to see it, and that's how we're taught, right? Be modest, be modest in winning, but of course, sometimes you've got to let it out. And look, Patrick Cantlay is a guy that doesn't get the respect that he should. He's the only three-time winner on the PGA Tour this season. Why doesn't he get enough respect? Because he's not flashy. He's not outspoken. He's modest. He's humble. And as we saw yesterday, methodical on the golf course. And look, I I think good for Patrick Cantlay. Do it your way. You know, he's gone through some tough times of his life and career, but 
here he is right now. You'd hate to bet against him on the big stage. I mean, he is, Iceman, rightfully so, a well-rounded golf game. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, don't sleep on him to win majors. You'd hate to get him in a Ryder Cup matchup. Uh, I, I thought it was great to see, and good on him for waving the cap. If that was me, I'd be up on that green, dancing around like a WWF wrestler, <laughs> shirt off, Ric Flair. Woo! <laughs> uh, Dubs Anderson with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. You can follow him at Mr. Dubsy. The best part about all of this drama that has really been going on all, all year, I mean, Brooks versus Bryson, Brooks and DJ don't really like each other. Now there's Patrick Cantley, Bryson, and then there's Patrick Reed versus everyone. Yeah, We're just a few weeks away from the Ryder Cup. I don't think there's any doubt that the talent of the U.S. team, I mean, they are just so stacked when you look at the uh, oh, yeah. overall world golf ranking. But I'll tell you what, dude, Steve Stricker's got a job on his hands getting all these guys to play nice and to come together as a team because – when you talk about intangibles and things that make great teams, I'm not sure that the American Ryder Cup team has any of it. It's not. And you make a good point. On paper, it's a stack lineup. They shouldn't lose. But I tell you this much. If they're going from the, the uh, hotel to the golf course during the Ryder Cup week, they're getting 12 separate Ubers. This is not a team that gets <laughs> along. It's And look, it's, it's going to count towards something. It's probably why Team USA doesn't have the best record going against the Euros. You know, it's a team environment. It definitely helps having that chemistry. But right now, Steve Stricker, I know he's trying to say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It counts for a lot. (laughs) Thomas Bjorn tweeted out yesterday during the playoff that he was searching, trying to find proof that Pat Cantley is actually Canadian to uh, have him off the team. (laughs) I'll tell you what, though, in reality, I mean, we know what a great player Cantley is. But when you talk about the stakes, the pressure that will be at that Ryder Cup, uh, the atmosphere at it, a guy to be putting the way Pat Catley is, I mean, that that will top everything at the Ryder Cup, a guy that literally is sinking him from anywhere on the golf course. Yeah, and, and he's so poised. I mean, that's that's a big game player right there. That's a guy I'd hate to draw in a matchup. He's going to go about his business. He'll work into the ground. And look, he, he doesn't do it the Bryson way. He's not going to overpower or t- intimidate you. He'll just kill you by stats, fairways, greens. Putter's going to light it up. So... That's the guy Strick would be rubbing his hands against, rubbing his hands you know, in celebration towards because right now they're the guys you need. A couple of steady heads in that locker room. They're not causing too much drama for DeChambeau. Jeez, I, I hope he makes it there, but he's going to be causing quite the ruckus as usual. Everywhere he goes, he's storming a teacup. He can't help himself. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, I'm a fan of Brooks, but I mean, I know he can be incredibly petty and juvenile as well, and we've seen some of that this year. But, I mean, I do think some of these guys absolutely cannot stand Bryson DeChambeau. And Patrick Reed's certainly in that group as well um, for a number of reasons, some similar and some different than Bryson. I mean, if the Reed situation's a little different. Uh, No, they won't say that he has COVID. He's just been in hospital with bilateral pneumonia. So you you can figure that one out for yourself. Um, But he actually survived for the Tour Championship. I still have no idea whether he's going to even be able to play um, if he doesn't, I, he's probably he's probably a perfect excuse not to have him on the team. But if he is there, do you just maybe put Bryson and Reed together and say, you know what, you guys are a team, and then the other 10 guys, you try and make an actual team out of those 10? We're just going to cop a loss on this one, boys. You guys have at it. Look, I, I don't know. You, you hear reports that DJ and, and Brooksy aren't the best of uh, mates the, these days either. So I don't know. I, I think you've got to match them up based on skill set. And for me... The way DeChambeau plays, it actually matches up pretty well 
to Brooks Kepke's game. You know, the, the long bomb and gouge, the power play. Um, it's going to be real interesting times. But look, Bryson's copping a hard time week to week on the PGA Tour, which is critical. Like, it's not helping him play well. Wait till they get to whistling straights. I mean, you've got half the gallery there going to be going against you. If he doesn't think they're going to be giving him a hundred times harder than what he was getting yesterday, geez, don't show up, mate, if you're not ready for it. You, you've brought it on yourself. Like, he could easily change his perception the same way Tiger, Phil did. They, they weren't always so warm to in the media or the press their early years, but they knew the right things to say, turn it around. Bryson DeChambeau, he better clue on real quick or he's going he's gonna to do it tough, pegging it up week in, week out, getting heckled. That doesn't help anyone. Dubs, um, fill our listeners in on how this Tour Championship works because it has changed a couple years ago. You've got the top 30 going in. Before, it was very confusing, like who's going to win the 15 mil, depending on where they are. Now, it's a staggered start, and um, Pat Cantlay is going to be the leader before they even hit a shot. Yeah, so, so look, they really want to reward the guys for having a good season. Now, Cantlay, he's the points leader. So what they do this week, the staggered stroke play format, Cantlay will start at 10 under par. Then Finau, second in the standings, he tees off at 8 under par. Third, Deshambe, he'll go off at 7 under par. Then we go to 6 to 5, and then we start grouping players by fives, going by one-shot increments. So it's a 30-man field. By the time we get to the guys 25 to 30, they're giving Cantlay a 10-shot head start prior to even hitting the golf ball Thursday. So this is a week you've really got to favor the guys teeing up up top there. Like Cantlay, he's going to be a hard man to beat. Getting a two-shot head start over Finau, 10-shot against the guys, you know, well, well back in the distance. So you've really got to favor the chalk this week. Look, it's it's a bit of a silly format. I think it still needs some tweaks. But the idea behind it is whoever wins the golf tournament, wins the FedEx Cup playoffs, wins the trophy, and it's easy to track throughout the tournament. Where, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like, well, he's going to win the Tour Championship, but uh, Rory's going to win the playoffs. It's very confusing. This is the way to simplify it. Well, and uh, there's a lot of scratch on the line too. What is it, 15 mil for first place? I mean, the biggest prize in golf. Yeah. These guys, I mean, these guys, as much as, you know, it's not a major, uh, I imagine them, there's significant others might prefer them winning the Tour Championship to something else. I mean, this is a big deal for these players and what an opportunity, especially for those three men you mentioned at the top, all playing very well. Tony Finau finally winning. I'm a big team Tony guy, beating Love our guy Tony. Cam Smith. I'm still disappointed. I was on Cam at 50 to 1. That, uh, uh, stop that, it. That I'm always on the Aussies. Shot, that playoff uh, into the drink right off the bat was a, yeah. a bit of a buzzkill. Um, but, I mean, it really will be a great – and this tournament, we can't forget, has also given us, you know, one of the more incredible scenes in golf, which, of course, was Tiger Woods winning a few years up back. Up the 18th. Which sort of – oh, and coming up the 18th. And, you know, that would have maybe been what we remember Tiger if he didn't then go and win the Masters after that. Yeah, tr- true story. I was at the golf course a couple of weeks ago. Pristine condition. It's going to be a test this week for these boys. We're not going to see, you know, 25 under par – off off the tips. I mean, DJ got it to 21 here last year, but he teed off at 10 under par, so I expect more of the same this week. And that's what we want. We want it to be a test. I mean, I was walking down on 18. I didn't have the millions following like Tiger Woods, so I had to double-check I was on the right golf course. But East Lake, it's going to be a test this week. And for the guy who runs dead last, who comes 30th this week, he's still getting paid $395,000. I'm looking to get in a bag. So if anyone knows a player looking for a caddy this week, Dubsy's back in the market. <laughs> hey, I got to ask you, from a caddy's perspective, you know, you're going to 18. I mean, imagine being, you know, Pat Cantley's caddy yesterday. When that putt finally goes in, 
you're very happy for your uh, for your partner for the player, but you must be going like, do you do the math? Going, oh my god, I just made uh, eighty grand or a hundred grand. Oh, you'd you'd be doing the math in uh, the Motel Six the night before. You know exactly where you stand, <laughs> what you're banking on. I'd be messaging the missus at home. Make dinner plans. We're going to Mastro Sunday night. I've got a big payday coming up here. Yeah, they know exactly what's online. But for the players, they've got that much money. They don't care if it's 400 or 500 k Not like us normal folks. So once it gets to that kind of money, it's play money. But, yes, there's a lot up for grabs this week. Uh, Dubs, this has been so much fun having you on the program. You know, Schickster's in chat, and a lot of people really enjoying the conversation. But he said, Huss, ask him for his pick in the AFL footy grand final. Uh, you're following that, Dubs? Uh, do, do, do you have a lean for us? No, I, I, I don't, boys. If, it, if it's a golf bet, I'm your boy. I, I come from Sydney, the Sydney Swans. You know, Buddy Franklin, not what he used to be. So, nah, I'd be taking up your time. If Look, if anyone's got a hot tip, tell me. I'll reach out to the boys back in Sydney and say I've got the inside line here. Excellent. Listen, dude, this is great. I hope we can do this again sometime. Let people know where they can find your content. And uh, certainly when you're coming back with the boys, Gabe and Cam, the uh, dynamic uh, duo. They can't get rid of me, mate. And look, I'd, I'd be happy to come back here. Anyone who gives me a clean set of ears to listen to some of my stories and talk a bit of golf, sign me up. And if there's a 19th hole nearby where we can have a couple of cold ones, get Dubsy there. If they want to follow me on socials, Mr. Dubsy. Don't ask me why. That's another long story. We'll save for the 19th hole. <laughs> Dude, uh, we will most certainly do this again. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, be well and uh, expect another DM from me. This was so much fun. We would definitely love to have you back. Love it, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> right on. There he is, Dubs Anderson at Mr. Dubsy. Uh, and if you're a regular viewer of uh, Gabe and Cam over at Sports Grid, uh, Dubsy on with them on the reg. And uh, man, they're wonderful conversations. Hilarious dude. And you mix that with Gabe and Cam. And by the way, people are asking yes, the return of Morency is imminent here on Winnipeg Sports Talk now with NFL season just around the corner. All right, let's get Remo back in here. I do want to uh, hit up the cool bet lines. And uh, as I mentioned, a little Barry Horowitz here, uh, lock shop, big week for the lock shop, including the Pat Cantlay pick at 27 to 1. So anyone that was riding with me right on. And the BC and Hamilton wins uh, got a dub for our boosted second chance partner parlay. So uh, it was uh, it was a great week for the lock shop. And uh, stay tuned We've got a new episode coming out on Wednesday with, of course, Dustin Nielsen, who did such a great job calling that Bomber game last night. Hooked up with Dusty on Friday. I had a great time. And I think not this Friday coming up, but the following Friday heading into the Banjo Bowl. We're going to try and do a little get-together for a lock shop viewers, certainly Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners, uh, out somewhere here. And now hopefully pull off uh, a little live edition of the lock shop as well. So I'll keep you up to date on all of that. Uh, but speaking of the cool bet lines, we have lines for the Labor Day weekend in the Canadian football league. And uh, Remo, how about that? The Riders, two and a half point favorites over the Winnipeg blue bombers uh, Riders at minus one forty seven on the money line bombers plus one twenty. And the total of 42. You've also got Montreal, a three-point favorite at Ottawa against the Red Blacks. The Ticats, after that big win in Montreal Friday night, four-and-a-half-point favorites over the Argos. And in the Battle of Alberta, which, fingers crossed, will happen, 
the Stamps minus three and a half point favorites over the Edmonton Elks. And um, Reem, the fact that the Stamps are three and a half point favorites just shows that uh, the bookmakers and fans have opened their eyes to what Jake Mayer's got. And uh, pretty interesting number for the Bombers and Riders. I mean, you know, if you're given three points for home advantage, basically a pick them. A Bombers may be a slight favorite, but if you get there right now, you can get plus two and a half or just plus 120 if you think the blue and gold can go in and get a W. Yeah, some interesting lines here. Um, I guess for people who are just joining in, we do need to touch on the Bomber signing Naaman Roosevelt, veteran receiver. I think this is the classic uh, CFL uh, sign the guy before he plays former team twice. See if you can get any uh, any until you know he's a sure-handed receiver. They did say they agreed to this before yesterday's game, so not an overreaction to the dropsies Hmm. by some of the receivers. I'd have to think as how he fits in. Maybe he takes a uh, Waltarski's spot, you know, an underneath guy, sure hands, uh, more of a short yardage, not a downfield kind of guy. I don't know how he fit. I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the coach says. Yeah, well, I mean, that could uh, screw with the ratio. So, I mean, I That's think there'll true. be some decisions. Yeah. And we'll be talking. We'll hear more from uh, O'Shea and Walters at some point over the course of this week, I'm sure, heading in. Um, but, yeah, and listen, I think we got to give David Asplund credit. David asked, we asked Darren Bombing, we talked about her, and then 15 minutes later, the news broke that yeah. Newman Roosevelt had signed. So, if anything, I think this was, this was the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat willing their wishes into reality. Does David Aspen have, like, intel on the Bombers now? He's like, maybe he's <laughs> trying to float it out there. Um, Insider! And then uh, Darren tweeted, color me surprised by the signing. That's what That's what he tweeted. So, we'll wait and see. But as far as uh, these lines go, I mean, if you want to ask me early leans, I'm still a believer in Montreal. Ottawa can't score any points. Us, um, Matt Nichols is having a tough go, so I still like I still like Montreal. But yeah, I agree with Joey. Vernon Adams got to get his head screwed on correctly and stop turning the ball over, and they should be able to win to win that game. Uh, I think by three on the road. Oh, I, I might pound that number right now. I mean, the Ottawa def- offense is absolutely dreadful. Um, Lapa was asked whether they'd go to Dominic yeah. Davis. I mean, they said they're going to consider a whole bunch of things, but I hate to tell you folks, Dom Davis is not the answer. Um, It could be a real, lo- I'm just glad Lapo and Nichols got that win in week number one. Uh, because I think right now with the personnel they have in the nation's capital, the wins are going to be few and far in between this year. And I would be surprised if that number isn't closer to five or six by the time uh, we get to kickoff coming up this weekend. Montreal has burned us before, but I agree with you. I'm still on them. I'm still on them. So we'll see. The the Bombers plus two and a half. I think that's that's a good, maybe a good bet. That could go either way. Uh, Hamilton back being a favorite. Maybe there's some value in the Argos at plus four and a half. And then uh, Calgary's looking good. I mean, I was on the bet against the rookie quarterback for the first couple games, but I think Jake Myers proved himself that he's pretty good. A pretty good quarterback. Edmonton, I mean, has had struggles, but they've got... Their well, offense is pretty down. good. It's not like they had a bye week and they've been, you know, having a whole bunch yeah. of practice. I mean, their facility's been shut down, and I just hope that that game happens. So we'll, we'll certainly get to that. Oh, shout out to Mitch. I cashed on the lock shop boosted parlay. Not bad. Two out of three. Yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't start off well, but we got right back at it. Got a real nice number, uh, and we'll do it again coming up on Wednesday's show. And if you missed the lock shop, if you're on the podcast, though, stick it in uh, at the lock shop, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, new episodes Wednesdays right now. And once we get into 
September. We'll be doing two a week uh, with one focused on NFL weekend heading into uh, into the weekend. Um, so, yeah, just back to Roosevelt for one second, Reem. This signing is interesting, and you kind of mentioned it. And we've had it happen numerous times before, before yes. these big rivalry games, somebody getting signed that was a longtime member of the other team. Now, there's been a long time since 2019, you know, when Roosevelt was there. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's not like he just got cut and has the entire playbook that he's going to roll into the Bombers, but certainly we'll know some of the tendencies. But listen, this guy can catch the football. And again, I guess they're saying that this was agreed to beforehand, so it is somewhat coincidental. Some of the conversations we've had about the Bombers receivers having a bit of the dropsies yesterday. The one thing that I'll just say about it is that competition is a good thing within um, within a team and within a receiving core. And a guy like that that has proven the way that he's been, which and he'll certainly be motivated, uh, you know, playing against the Riders in both of these games over the course of the next two. And if anything, it's just a real push to, you know, try to get the best out of the guys that are here right now that are very capable of uh, maybe catching the football a little bit better than they did for Zach Caleros last night. Yeah, and... Um... I mean, he's a veteran guy. He can catch the ball. And he's not the fastest guy, but he he's known for his sure hands and you know any edge you you can get. I mean, sign him, see if it works out. Great if it doesn't. Um, you know, we are kind of hoping for um, Cam Meredith to be activated off the practice list. You know, we've been hyping him up since the preseason, but you know maybe you know he's kind of he's still he's still hurt. I have no idea what if there's any uh, relation there. But just talking about veteran, you know, bringing in veteran. Receivers, I started thinking about uh, that as well. But I mean, he's been in the league for a long time, so I mean, we'll see how we'll see. We'll wait till we hear more from the coach and how he, they plan on fitting him in. Yeah, I mean, hey, it wasn't a trade. I mean, they're getting a player that was uh, on the street. He comes in with a great CFL resume, and you know, can hopefully help the Bombers win, uh, win some football games. Two very important football games uh, this weekend in, La- uh, in in Regina for the Labor Day Classic, and then right back here for Banjo Bowl weekend the following Saturday. Uh, well, there's lots going on right now. We've got a big bomber game in a couple weeks. A lot of people making the trip to Regina on the weekend. We've got the Gold Eyes back for seven games beginning tomorrow, pushing for the playoffs. And, of course, Little Brown Jug will be there on the uh, in Craft Beer Corner. And we also have a few more weeks of live racing over at Assiniboia Downs, three by my count. And, you know, stay tuned. We'll have to maybe get a bunch of people out to the track and do a little WST meetup one of these days uh, before the season's over. Uh, Remo, how are your picks looking as we try to get off to a, a nice start for today's action? Uh, my Downs picks? I'm going with some familiar faces and hoping for a win. I have my picks in. Do you want me to start getting to them right now? Yeah, that- let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, here. Let me just sign in an HPI bet. And uh, and uh, someone mentioned in chat, uh, didn't they release uh, Cam Meredith? And I was like, oh yeah, they they did. But we talked about how yeah. he how he lives in Winnipeg, and I feel like he's not going anywhere else, right? Yeah, I mean, we didn't get a lot of details on Cam Meredith other than he was injured. They released him. They needed other guys here, but yeah, it's not like he's about to pick up and sign with one of the other teams. Um, you know, I think when he is fully healthy and able to contribute, you know, they'll certainly consider adding to them to the roster again. Uh, but again, it got a little more crowded today with Naaman Roosevelt. Mm. So, I mean, that'll be something that we'll just have to monitor, uh, monitor going forward. Yeah. Well, and then here on, on with the picks, I'm really in the dumps here on my selection. So I'm 
keeping it simple, just going straight winners. I'm not screwing around because I did a bunch of Quinellas last week and I would always get like half of it right and then get really upset that I missed the second one. So I'm just going to try frustrating. to, I'm going to try to hit, I'm just trying to keep it simple. Just, you know, got to walk before I can run. Uh, race three. I'm, I'm going, this is the day Huss where I pick horses that have uh, helped me before. Uh, race nice. three, horse three, Drizzy to win. Uh, Drizzy, I'm, he's helped me before, big Drizzy guy. Uh, race seven, uh, I'm going to this horse, you know her, Sophie McTrophy. Uh, oh yeah, horse Sophie's six. back. Sophie's back, horse six to win, Sophie McTrophy on race seven. Uh, race six, uh, horse five, Marianda. I believe I've won on Marianda before. Uh, a bit of a longer shot, but I don't I don't care. I'm going Marianda. Uh, we'll go with that. And the last one, race four. Uh, I think I bet on this horse, but it didn't win. But horse two, Backstreet's back to show. <laughs> How could I not bet on I just went through the name. You know, I went I get get the chart, I go through the names. I said, Oh, Backstreet's back hundred percent. I don't care. I don't care what the odds are. It is a program pick, so this isn't like crazy off the board. But I was like, yeah, Backstreet's back. I'm I was listening to uh Backstreet Boys and nineties on nine in the car yesterday. So I think it was it's meant to be. It's called serendipitous. Funny you say that. Whoa, nice word. Nice word. Yeah, there you go. Into the thesaurus on the weekend, Remus. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, horse race number one. I am going with number three, Wits Gato to win. Uh, I love the horses that have wits in them. They are often very good. And that's why in race number two, I'm going to do a 2-3 Quinella. Carlos Sixes, who's the heavy favorite, along with Wit Loves Tacos. Moving on to race number three, I've got a 1-3 Quinella. We're going with Drizzy and Silver Spun. And then we're actually going to also put in Trump Um and have a 1-2-3 Triactor Wheel. So uh, the first three horses in that race, see if we can maybe pull out a little bit of extra scratch from race number three. And then uh, I'm also with you on Backstreet's back, but I'm going to bet them to win. I- yeah. I'm going all in with the Backstreet boys. I, I might have to do that. Let's do it. Let's I, I got. I can't nice. bet we scared. Can get a W. We can I can't bet scared. W. Yeah, I'm <laughs> canceling mine. I I was playing scared going with the show, but you know what? You're right. I'm. I'll cancel. Uh, so folks, uh, uh, you can of course attend the races tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Uh, much like any other event in the province of Manitoba right now, just proof of vaccination will get you, friends, family in there for a great night of live racing. Parade to post 7.30, and if you can't make it out, you can always watch the ASD live stream on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Shout out to Kirk and Stretch for the great work that they do. Uh, And, of course, you can bet with us online and uh, tracks around the world at hpibet.com. Man, this has been a fun show. How good was Dubsy, Reem? A lot of love for Dubsy in the chat. Um, Man, one thing I like about about today's show is every guest great. Great video, great microphone, and Dubsy, no, no different, no, no hiccups, only uh, self-induced. Uh, that was me. I saw, I did see WST audio gremlin in chat, but uh, <laughs> that, that was me. It wasn't, it wasn't the gremlin. So, uh, but yeah, work. He was great. Uh, good golf knowledge. So uh, I'd love to have uh, him back on the show for sure. Oh, he was phenomenal. Uh, and uh, and I, I'll say this, Aussies. Like I could have had Dubsy on and had him do play by play of people crossing the street. And I would have listened to it or talking about haircuts or I mean, just anything like that voice. is just fun to hear, uh, you know, the Aussies speak. And 
um, great, great golf analyst and uh, a real fun dude to talk to. So we thank him for joining us. We'll definitely get him back on maybe when we get in and around the Ryder Cup. Uh, a few things to get to coming out of the weekend that we haven't touched on so far, Reem. Uh, did you see the Jake Paul Tyron Woodley fight yes. last night? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm. T- t- I did not. I'm I glad watched. I did not bet on it. Uh, although, I now you if you saw it, you can tell me. I have a feeling that this was fixed. For I mean, sure. I have, for sure. I have a feeling that, the, and so I'm really regretting not putting a sprinkle on Jake Paul by decision because that was fifteen to one. Like, who really thought that Jake Paul was going to knock out Tyron Woodley? Not me. And I know a lot of the people were on Woodley. I think just because they want to see Jake Paul lose, it was just sort of like betting on your favorite team. It's the guy going against him. Mm -hmm. But considering the way these things are put together, I thought it's been sketchy to begin with. I'll give the Paul guys credit. They're incredible self-promoters. But considering this situation, Tyron Woodley's going to get a great paycheck could he have done more? Probably. And, um, you know, you get that big win for Jake Paul and his undefeated streak continues. Yeah, I think these events are questionable, but I do like the production value of them. I loved seeing uh, who a big cat uh, on the like betting panel where they like don't know what they're talking about there. Um, so, I, th- I mean, uh, they bring in the guys. They have, uh, you know, the announcers. I don't know. Uh, Chris Abbott tweeted before. I mean, there's one guy boxing in like fur shorts and then what were those (laughs) i don't know jake paul had the like lcd or led thing on his belt with his name Um, uh he also had a robot in his posse a 10-foot robot did you see that i missed the robot i was playing uh, i was streaming nhl and i was kind of watching out the corner of my eye well, and I don't know whether I don't know whether he went out, but I saw a video. I think Big Cat put it out um, of them yeah. behind the scenes meeting Paul and his entourage, and he had a ten foot robot that you know walked around. It looked like the Fox robot from uh, from the football broadcast, yeah. hanging out with their oh, crew. Uh, it was really Cletus? Cool. Cletus, that's the name yeah, of the yeah, Fox robot. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also rocked. Uh, you know, last time out, he wore the Charizard necklace. Like a 250k card, Pokemon card. Uh, oh, that's great. Right. And yeah. this time I was like, well, what's he going to rock? But it was the um, like Cleveland jersey altogether. And I don't know, he was had Chief Wahoo displayed a bit too prominently. Uh, I thought, I thought Chief Wahoo got canceled. So, uh, good he, point. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, people were texting me about this fight. Hey, when's this Paul fight? Isn't it tonight? Because they thought it was Saturday. I'm not in for the Sunday night. Saturday night is fight day, not Sunday night. I Sunday night's reserved for WWE pay-per-views, although SummerSlam was on a Saturday, so my world is uh, is totally upside down here with, <laughs> with the scheduling. But we'll see if there's part two. I don't know, but I, I do think these events are questionable, And but people want to watch them. I think they're doing good business, so uh, you can't fault them, but everyone wants to see Jake Paul get knocked out, and I think he's going <laughs> to pick, pick fighters where uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, no doubt. Let's get to a few NFL news and notes. Um, oh, yes, I did pick J.K. Dobbins early in my oh, draft last well, week, well seemingly done. cursing him. He's oh, out sorry. For he, the season. He's the one who was hurt. Sorry. Yeah, he's out for it was, the year. It was Gus Edwards who gets the yeah, boost. Yeah, yeah. No, it didn't take a flyer on the Gus yeah. bus late, and I'm screwed because of it. So 
Uh, thoughts and handcuff. prayers. Thoughts and prayers to everybody like me that took J.K. Dobbins. Oh. Really unfortunate injury for uh, a guy that I, was, you know, going to be counted on for some big, big touches, uh, game in and yeah. game out for the Baltimore Ravens. Hey, I mean, thoughts and prayers to Jake Dobbins. Hus. No one cares about your fantasy team. But, Come on. Well, how dare okay. you celebrate it go, a guy? It goes, goes without saying. Thoughts and prayers to J.K. Yeah, Dobbins. Yeah, you were saying thoughts and prayers. Quickly. I thought you were going to be like, thoughts and prayers to Jake Dobbins. You're like, no, no, no. Thoughts and prayers to the fantasy, fantasy, owners. fantasy owners. Fantasy owners. That's, <laughs> I can't dance on a guy's, uh, I don't want to say grave, but a guy's injury here. That's terrible. Well, no, we're not dancing on it. I mean, we're we're suffering right along with But you're, you're more concerned about your fantasy team than a health of a human being. I just want to make that clear to everyone. Duh. Guilty as charged, I guess. Guilty as charged. The stuff I see a lot I of people. I saw a lot of uh, you know people on Twitter yesterday. How how dare you post about your fantasy L's? A, a human being is is injured, and I think you can be. I mean, these are real humans. These aren't these aren't football playing robots who you're no you know doubt. part of some video game. I'm so I'm seeing a lot injuries, of those t- injuries. The, part of the game. Part yeah. of the game. What can uh, <laughs> what can we say? Yeah. Um, Andy Dalton's going to start for the Bears. In week number one. For how long? Well, exactly. But I think that's a smart move. Um, you know, let's let Justin Fields get ready to actually play. Andy Dalton's a very competent quarterback. He'll be able to now get the job done. We'll see how they look. I mean, if they stink and he's doing terribly, you know, then maybe Fields comes in and there's less of a less on his shoulders considering the way the thing started. But um it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Trevor Lawrence, for his part, looked brilliant. They destroyed the Cowboys. Um, and he looked like an NFL vet in his third preseason game, much better in week one and two. Um, and of course, Reen, that's because Gardner Minshew isn't looking over his shoulder anymore as Minshew traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a sixth rounder on the weekend. Yeah, Minshew had been pretty good um, for them, but I guess falling out of favor. They got Trevor Lawrence, no need for Minshew. You get a pick. Um, sure. I mean, we'll see how he goes. I mean, Jalen Hurts. Maybe some question marks about him, but he was solid last year running QB. So I think we'll wait on that plays out. And one interesting note for fantasy, everyone thought James Robinson was going to go to the moon after the injury to Etienne, but it seems like him and uh, Carlos Hyde have been splitting reps there in Jacksonville. So that's something to watch. Yeah, different coach with Urban Meyer taking over. So, I mean, there's no guarantees that, you know, even without Etienne that they'll uh, ride Robinson like they did last season. Uh, and, of course, the Saints uh, in Dallas now riding out Hurricane Ida. I was saying to you off air, I, I'm sort of a bit of a weather nerd. And, you know, when these big storms come up, I spend a lot of time on CNN or whatever channels watching it. But I realized that this one caught me completely by surprise because I think like a lot of people, ever since Trump's out, I haven't turned on CNN in months. Everything's so much more peaceful so I actually missed all of this weather chaos until I was sitting at Sal's having breakfast yesterday afternoon and uh, realized that it was coming down. And now once you go in, a real serious situation and uh, in all seriousness, thoughts and prayers with everyone that's dealing yes. with it right now. I think there's a million two without power right now. And they're still sort of getting to some of these areas that were hard hit and seeing all the damage. Uh, but from an NFL standpoint, uh, the Saints are riding this out in Dallas and might not be back in New Orleans all of this week. So certainly, uh, you know, a storm of that size, of that magnitude playing havoc with everyone in that area, including 
the National Football League team. And we have to get to this remote. Nice weekend for the Jays. They get two or three from the Detroit Tigers. They're going up against the Orioles, the free space on the bingo card for the next three games. But to me, the story of the majors coming out of this weekend is the New York Mets. These idiots. <laughs> I mean, they had a great start. They rode Jake DeGrom for a while, and now it's all caved in. Their offense is horrible. The season is going the exact wrong direction, and the fans are getting on them. And uh, they've decided that as a team, they're going to fight back against the fans, and they've got a new quote-unquote celebration when they do something well, hit a home run, they come around third, thumbs downing everybody. And they were honest. Um, you know, if you can, Remo, read that uh, read the, the oh, clip yeah. from, uh, from Lindor there. It says, when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So they, that being the fans, are going to get booed when we get success. And that was Javi Baez saying that. And Baez, Lindor, and Kevin Pillar were among the players bashing the thumbs down sign which i think is ridiculous like you know who pays you know who allows you to become a professional baseball player it's the fans i mean they haven't played great i can show you uh sandy alderson had a statement too that yeah he, he i've got was, it right here you okay. can get it up i'll read it in a post-game press conference this is from the gm of the mets uh javi Baez stated that his thumbs down gesture during the game was a message to fans who recently have booed him booed him or other players for poor performance these comments and any gestures by him or other players with a similar intent are totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. The players and organization are equally frustrated. But fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way toward our fans. I will be meeting with our players and staff to convey this message directly. Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. This is in New York for crying out loud. I mean, booing is part of being a fan. And, you know, like when the times are good, you're a, you're a god. But when the times are bad, they're all over you. And for Lindor, who, what did they sign him to? Like 200, 300 million dollars? Yeah. For he's him had to do that? I mean, these season. guys are absolutely brain dead. And the stones on it, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, some of the good guys in sports. Well, there's a lot of incredibly entitled sucks out there. And uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of them are playing for the New York Mets right now. What a joke. Yeah. They've, yeah, I had a terrible what second half here. I mean, deserve the booing. I, I I think Mike McIntyre was talking on Twitter on the weekend about you know personal insults. I mean, obviously those are not fair. But when you can say you know you haven't performed to your expectations, we're gonna boo you. I mean, that's part of being a fan. And this is a very like WWE heel move, going at your own fans and giving them the thumbs down when you're doing something <laughs> good. It's, I mean, imagine like sitting in the room and like how they came up came up with that. The conversations leading into like, yeah, we're going to... And the guys thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's all do that. Well, great, great. I mean, just, (laughs) I mean, brain dead, brain dead. Um, All right, geez, we're just about at three o'clock. We do got to get out so we can get this Mm. thing, uh, get the the, the podcast up. Um, Quickly, have we confirmed that McPizza is not coming back? And the, in fact, the surprise is Spicy McNuggets. Yeah, thumbs we, down to that. That that I'll thumbs down to. No problem. <laughs> if it's not the pizza, if it's not the pizza, it should have at least been McRib. Spicy McNuggets. Who, yeah. who cares? I don't. I don't care. You know. Sorry, sorry. 
I was going to say, like, the pe- fact that the uh, tweeted, the thing you've been asking for arrives, 831-21, no one's been asking for spicy McNuggets. Everyone's asking for McRib, uh, McPizza. So they're going to get a, a beatdown on Monday, but everyone was talking about McDonald's because of that that tweet. So, well, I think it's tomorrow they're going to announce spicy McNuggets. I mean, uh, and I, mean then I will a- be replying. I will be replying with the Yankee fan gift yeah. of the guy just like this. Yeah, it's just you don't that guy's the you best. don't play with people's emotions like that on social media. Huss. That's that's <laughs> how you take big L's. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, and we should give um, you know condolences to uh, Robin Short, who uh, passed away mm-hmm. a long time. I believe the editor of the St. John's Telegram, basically synonymous with. The Maritime, Newfoundland in particular, um, and sports out there for a long time. And uh, certainly those of us in the sports media business that had spoken to him before, um, all saddened when uh, learned of his passing. And we heard a number of um, you know people from all around uh, the country really speaking about um, just how beloved Robin Short was out on the rock. Yeah, he's battling uh, brain cancer. And I was uh, surprised to hear this 56 years old. We had Robin on the old station many, many times, especially when the Jets um, affiliate was in St. John's and, you know, there are other events out there. We would call him up and he was always very generous with his time, always great to talk with. And I was very saddened and shocked um, to see this news uh, over the weekend. Very nice, uh, you know, write up eulogy in the in the telegram where you know he worked for, I think, for a, for a long time. No doubt about it. The minute we talked about this McDonald's controversy, the chat went absolutely off. But shout out to the WST Audio Gremlin. I'm with you. The cheddar melt. Um, Not enough people are demanding that to come Mm. back because that was one of the best burgers that they've ever done. Speaking of burgers, it is Burger Week. Burger Week is beginning today. And because it's been so massive in Winnipeg, it's now actually two weeks so um, I, I will have some burger reports at some point. We might have to get Carter Chan on uh, at some point oh, at the end of the program. That would for actually a full, for a full, you know, you know, he is the burger meister. He'll probably go through forty or fifty over the course of the next couple of weeks. So he will certainly have some great tips for our listeners. Maybe that's for sure Friday or something. Be like week <laughs> one burger week recap. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. I, that actually would be good. And I got to give a shout out to Carter because mm-hmm. I he was the one that sent me a text from Royal with an inventory update that we were down to just uh, three of each. And I see Schickster, shout out to Schickster, who literally during the show went over to Royal to pick up a hat. Thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate the support. Uh, Two dad hats, three snaps available uh, still at Royal Sports, and a couple left on the website. If you're from outside of the city, Mm -hmm. head to winnipegsportstalk.com and click on store, and we'll get you hooked up. All right, last thing on the program. I said what a great weekend I had. Uh, it was great to hook up with Dusty. Uh, Joel Marcoux, TSN 1290 OG, was in on Thursday. Got together with him and the Royal guys. Game yesterday was phenomenal. But the highlight, or one of the many highlights of the weekend, was my first live wrestling commentary with CWE Ream. The event was out at the Lilac Resort, a place that I'd never been. And uh, what a what a wild place that that is. There was hundreds of kids in Halloween costumes trick-or-treating down these rows of trailers. Uh, and then the crowd for the wrestling event was equally wild. Tons of kids in costumes, adults in costumes. And I got to say, the venue that they had to pull this off, as well as for the taping for CWE, was wild. So uh, shout out to Dynamite Dave Petro, 
uh, who did the play-by-play. I did the color. You can check it out at the Canada's Wrestling Elite on Facebook. I believe some of the early matches are there available right now. And if not, we'll be doing some more TV lately. But uh, I told you, Reem, when they asked me, hey, you want to come and do some wrestling commentary? My answer was, I've been waiting all my life for this call. And um, finally got to do it with fans. And it was awesome. Shout out to uh, everyone out at Lilac Resort. Looked like everyone had a lot of fun. And uh, man, the guys in the ring put on a great show as well. Yeah, those guys do uh, great work. And I've been to a couple of their shows and I'll have to uh, get to them. But that looked like an amazing atmosphere. Outdoor event. I was having flashbacks to WrestleMania 9 at Caesars Palace <laughs> when you show me the ring. That's what it felt like. That's yeah, what it felt like. <laughs> ex- exactly. So uh, pretty awesome. Hey, right on. All right. We got to get the podcast up, everyone. Thank you. A great turnout in chat today. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll have much more on the Newton Neyman Roosevelt signing. Look ahead to the Banjo Bowl. Some more on the NFL now that the preseason is finished. Uh, The latest on the Montreal Canadiens, whether they're going to match the Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi. Uh, offer sheet and so much more um you know big thanks to dubs anderson it was awesome to have him on the program darren bombing was great joey alfieri in montreal of course michael remus and all of our sponsors including canadian club whiskey royal sports don't forget limited availability of these hats left three snaps two uh dad hats jump on those before they're gone uh nick from nick and nicky dq with four locations here in Winnipeg, not Autocorp, Boston Pizza, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, the delicious taste of Little Brown Jug Brewing, and of course, Cool Bet Canada. For Michael Remus, folks, I'm Andrew Patterson. Have a great Monday night. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. live on YouTube, later on in the afternoon in your podcast feed here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.